You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Mm. <laughs> good morning, everyone, or good evening, or, or good night, really, wherever you are yeah, in I'm the world. Sorry. Hello, good evening, and good night. It's like a two Ronnie sketch, isn't it? Hello, Four good candles. evening, and good night. Uh, <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> So, hello everyone, and welcome to the Plain Talking UK podcast, episode number 88, and uh, we are here live in my kitchen studio Ooh, for yes. this week. And uh, joining me as always is uh, Matt, hello. my co-host. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we? How are we? I know. Good. It's cool, isn't it? it and, is. But th that's not the only person that we have with no. us on the show this no, we week, no. because joining us via Skype is the legend, legend that is... Grant McCarran. <laughs> there we go. Yay. Good morning, Grant. Give us a wave. Give me up, guys. You crack me up. <laughs> Give us a wave. Give us a wave. Yay. Hello. We <laughs> How are we doing? Good morning, oh, good well, evening, and it it's is. beer o'clock. It is, absolutely. It's yes. beer o'clock. So what is the time exactly in your in your area of the world then, Grant? Uh, 9.07 p.m., pretty much. Awesome. Oh, 9.06 and we we have to say as well. We um, would you please um, thank uh, the lovely Kit for allowing us to steal Absolutely, you uh, from yes. her this evening. <laughs> she's probably yeah, grateful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's she's just finishing a movie. Then she's going to have an early night. Um, I don't blame her. Yeah, yeah. We've had we've had a quiet day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good, good, Absolutely. good. And I'm guessing it's rather warmer there than it is here because we're we're experiencing a nice chill at the moment with nice little three to three to the degrees mm. of temperature. Oh. Yes, lovely. <clears throat> yeah, no, uh, got down to about 15 or so. Uh, we had about five degrees in the morning the other morning, but uh, wow. we're getting spring weather at the moment, like early spring, not late. So mm. it's um, it's odd, but that's life. It was it was quite warm today, yeah. Now, so how, how are things with you and Grant? Because uh, we, uh, we've... Uh, We've missed you. We've missed you and Steve on the shows, obviously. And I know you, but you've been busy guys, but uh, you've been doing a lot of uh, flying just lately, haven't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, last week was uh, pretty insane. Um, I'd call it the nine days of insanity was how I was describing it to Kit. Because <laughs> uh, on the Friday, I flew up to Armadale, which is in rural New South Wales. So a 737 up to Sydney and then a Dash 8 across to Armadale. Both flights about an hour. And then uh, from I was doing the air show commentary for the Armadale air show. That was that was a lot of fun. We managed to sneak in an air show just before a vicious storm hit. <laughs> wow! And then had the obligatory post air show dinner and drinks, which I yeah mostly survived. <laughs> and I came back on the Sunday. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely coma. Yes, anyone? Yes. Know how to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> cool. You've been doing much ballooning then. Ah uh, no, the ballooning was last weekend. Uh, so that was the start of the nine days. Then. Um, to work on Monday and Tuesday, and Tuesday I'll go straight from work to an airliner up to Sydney again to do uh, two days of workshops. Back home late Thursday night, and then into work on Friday, and back at, and off to the airport again on Friday. I'll go to go to Canberra. I'll tell you I what, had I... the Australian Balloon Federation's AGM that I had to be at, and so I went flying over Canberra on the Saturday, and then I flew a balloon in Bungendore, not far. It's actually where we got married, but oh, not far yeah. from um, not far from Canberra. So yeah, I was PIC for that one. Well, I tell you what, I want—I I, I certainly want your air miles this last couple of weeks. I was going to say, he's I've air never miles. Seen, I, I, every time you because I'm just going to ask the question because it's a program called Swarm. I see that does it. What, what's that? On your uh, swarms are like I check in here, I check it. It's, it's yeah. for um, yeah. 
It's, but I've yeah. never seen so many like updates at airport lounges and pictures of aeroplane. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's just like you think it. You know, I, I thought I knew him relatively well. It's like, and suddenly he's turned into this insane jet setter, swinging from one part of the world to the other. Like, honestly. <laughs> But I suppose days, that's the thing. Now I suppose that's the thing, though, because uh, I mean, we don't really appreciate here in this country. Because I mean, we're a tiny. I mean, you're an island as well, um, but we are a mm. tiny, tiny island. Tiny. And, and and I guess for, for for what you do, I mean, flying is very much like the states, I suppose, isn't it? Where you're you're literally just flying from from one part of the world to from one part of your own country to another, just because otherwise it would take you forever. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's a ten-hour drive from Melbourne to Sydney. Wow. And that's on multi-lane, multi-lane uh, highway all the way. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's yeah. crazy. It's, yeah. Um, so, so it's easier my, to just and my fly. cousin wonders why I don't go and visit her right, in Australia. Okay. You're not tempted. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Well, well, it's just all. Well, I was going to say the flying wouldn't bother me. It's just all the travelling and stuff and that mm. in between. Yeah. But... Mind you, as I say, if you if you if you like Grant, you just jump on a plane. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, <laughs> I will get I will get round to see it, going over and seeing. Uh, Absolutely. At some I was going to say. Well, I've got yeah. I've got places we can stay, so yeah. the accommodation. Is well, all no, sorted. I, I can stay in her house, but um, oh yes, I know. But she lives in a really there. obscure part of Australia, which is like literally on the edge of edge of nowhere. Right. Okay. Well, where is she? Uh, she's in Geraldton. Oh right, yeah, yeah. So you grant those West that. Australia. That's it. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, and she's she's literally literally a stone skim away from the beach, oh. from where, where she lives there. So right. but it's it's a lovely. Look, looks lovely, but you know I've seen the vehicle that she uses to get to to her house, and it's right. it's not like our. It's not Kia. a car. No. Right. Okay. Right. No, <laughs> car. Four-wheel drive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh dear. Anyway, lovely verses, yeah. ladies and gents. It oh, is uh, around about ten past uh, ten, as Carl says. And we the date are, is the twenty-eighth. It is the twenty-eighth of November. As I say, uh, we are doing this is episode number eighty-eight, and we probably ought to do the news. Yes. So uh, we're going to start the show off then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt, I certainly am. And if you're ready, Grant. I most certainly am. Let's go. So kicking off the first news story this week then on the Express website and uh, in the UK. The headline, breaking news, and it's EasyJet and British Airways cancel all flights to Sharm el-Sheikh. Mm, so again. after weeks of travel chaos, EasyJet have cancelled all their flights to Sharm el-Sheikh until further notice. Thousands of British travellers will be thrown into travel chaos uh, this week when, uh, with the news that EasyJet has cancelled all its flights to Sharm el-Sheikh. The company put out an official statement telling passengers that they will uh, not be flying to the destination until further notice. British Airways have also cancelled uh, flights uh, to uh, the city up to and including the 14th of January next year. Mm. It's said that uh, airlines including Monarch, Thompson and Thomas Cook have uh, followed suit and cancelled uh, flights until dates in December. EasyJet's uh, statement reads, The following discussions with the DFT, EasyJet took the decision and suspended all flying between the UK and Sharm el-Sheikh uh, after Wednesday the 4th of November and won't resume flights to Sharm until the government's advice changes. 
To help provide some certainty for passengers over Christmas period, EasyJet will be cancelling all flights to and from Sharm until the 6th of January 2016 and offering uh, passengers a choice of a full refund uh, or a flight voucher uh, to another destination within the EasyJet network. Mm. Um, so, I mean, obviously we, we knew this would, would happen, obviously, mm. with what's yeah, going on. Stuff, really. Because, um, you know, obviously things aren't too great there at the moment. No. They're still obviously investigating, although they do know that the aircraft was brought down, mm. unfortunately, by a bomb on board. Yeah. Um, uh, did, I, did I hear overnight, I, I, forgive me if I, I dreamt this because I sort of fell asleep with the telly on this morning, but mm. um, I'm sure I heard somewhere about apparently that they'd found some uh, Arabic writing inside the, I think it was inside the fuselage of an EasyJet plane. Um, as I say, it was hitting the UK news networks this week. Maybe somebody could uh, tap away and, and look it up. But um, okay. it was, um, yeah, it was sort of the EasyJet basically released a statement saying they weren't worried about it. Um, but I, 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 I didn't catch where it was, whether it was in Sharm el Sheikh, and that's one of the reasons why they've cancelled all these flights, or and that I don't really know. There, but there's it, been a lot of, of um, in, <coughs> excuse me, incidents in the last um, week of. Mm. of you know, planes are being diverted or right. suspicious packages being found and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be like this for a while now. I mean, this is not going to just sort of no, blow away. No, no, no. no, no. Um, what are your views on this, Grant? Obviously, you've been there, obviously following this, your your side mm -hmm. of the pond as such of, of what's been going on. Well, it's, yeah, it's pretty full on. Um, I mean, with one pretty devastating attack, they've, mm. uh, they've managed to uh, cripple Egypt's... Uh, economy really mm, by yeah, uh yeah. turning off Sharm el Sheikh. It was a huge money money earner for the so um, for the area. Uh, yeah. Egypt was making a lot of tourist dollars coming in for mm. that location. Everyone was going there and now no one is. So you know it's gonna hurt financially big time. Mm. But I mean, you know, if you don't trust where you're going to and to be able to keep you safe, then probably not a not a good look, eh? No, 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 indeed. It's as I say, and that that's the issue, isn't it? Where uh, the the breach of security was actually, you know, in in charm in charm itself, mm. and and yeah. somebody had sort of managed to get something in there. When yeah, and that's the one place where you kind of assume that safety is is at its height, don't you? I mean, you know, once you because we have to go through so many hoops, don't we, to get on the damn thing in the first place, and then it's it's a bit frightening that just some humble. Um, you know, just sort of some some uh, sort of hum humble guy there just managed to sort of in baggage or something like that manages mm. to stick something on there that's a, that's a bit much. You know, well, well, hopefully by the summer season it'll sort itself out. Mm. Mm. Don't don't forget, you're going through all these hoops in the air side for the passengers. Yeah. But in terms of what's happening on uh, to get onto the tarmac, uh, there's been a number of airports that have been uh, found to have less than ideal security for mm. workers and so on, but uh, everyone's stepping up a bit more there. So, you know, you, uh, the, you're doing the security theatre with the passengers, but in the background uh, you've got some interesting folks working on the tarmac. Yeah, it can happen. Yeah, it can happen. Actually, um, the uh, Bert's just sent me a link to that story um, that I was talking about just mm. a moment ago, and uh, I'm, I can't get it to come up, which is really annoying. Hang on a sec. Um, but um, it was... Here we go. Sorry, it's... Sorry about this, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, Bear we, with we, me. We've got a. We've got uh, Masha Gertz is, uh, is in the chat room. Yeah. And oh, my laptop's just gone crazy. Oh, there we it? go. Everything's all falling <laughs> apart. And, uh, 
Short Backer, he's in the he's in the chat room as well. Awesome. Good morning to you, yeah, Short yeah. Backer. Yeah, no, they were just saying that. Sorry, this this is the story. This this is from Sky News. Thank you very much to Bert who's just sent me this. It's Arabic graffiti found on four EasyJet planes. EasyJet says that the in, the inscriptions uh, discovered on the inside of the fuel panels and toilet doors were not considered to be a threat. Uh, an investigation has been launched after an Arabic graffiti was found uh, daubed on panels covering fuel tanks of four EasyJet planes in France. So I wonder if that's linked to the other, the other big terrorist story that's going on at the moment. Lisa King, EasyJet cabin safety manager, alerted the company employees to the graffiti with an email informing them of the discovery of four aircraft in France with written inscriptions on the inside of the fuel panel and toilet door in Arabic script. The airline did not give uh, any details of the nature of the inscriptions. However, a spokeswoman for EasyJet said that the matter was not considered to be a threat either by the airline or the authorities and no passenger had to be removed from the aircraft. So yeah. that's... Um, it's possibly Arabic for Abdullah was here, perhaps. Uh, possibly, yes. All right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hello, guys. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. It, Just, they're not releasing it. I mean, no. it's. It yeah, suggests it's nothing to be sort of worried about. Anyway, sorry, yes, I digress. On to the next story. Yeah, on to the next story, and that's me again. Sorry about that, ladies and gents. Uh, it is, uh, this is on the BT website, which is a new one for us. And, oh, there's a surprise. Look, it's Ryanair. Yes, who? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, Ryanair signs up a new airline ombudsman service. Ooh, Ooh. that's a frightening Ooh. prospect, isn't it? I can't imagine that. Uh, the budget airline has become the first member of a new airline complaint scheme, which can force payouts for delays and cancellations they're being first to sign up what's what's the catch yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ombudsman yeah, service okay. yeah yeah whatever yeah uh, the ombudsman services uh, new airline complaints attribute uh, arbitration scheme has a somewhat surprising first new member ryan air uh, passengers who have issues concerning flight delay, cancellation, lost baggage or denied boarding will be able to make complaints to the new body free of charge. Importantly, the ombudsman's decisions are legally binding so they can force airlines to pay out. The airline scheme is expected to launch next spring so you can't make use of it for a while. The Civil Aviation Authority CAA reckons that further ombudsman style services will also launch next year uh, though it's worth remembering that airlines aren't required to to sign up for them. Once an ombudsman style scheme or group of schemes covers airlines uh, collectively cover at least 50% of the passengers departing from or arriving in the UK, the CAA plans to close its own complaint service. Uh, so what you need to know for now is that the EU rules state that if your flight is delayed by at least three hours or cancelled, you could claim up to £420 per person if the delay is outside of the airline's control. Passengers who don't have any luck uh, getting redress from the airline that they've travelled with can go to the Civil Aviation Authority. However, the CAA doesn't have the same powers as an ombudsman service, uh, so it can't force airlines to pay compensation. Until next year, you should still complain to the airline first, moving over to the aviation regulator in the country of travel or the European Consumer Centre if that fails. The authority will continue to take complaints relating to disability or mobility issues for consumers flying with airlines that are not covered in the scheme. As much as we all love holidays, they can go wrong sometimes. Whether it's a flight delay or a skiing accident, you need cover. Make sure you compare quotes for single and multi-trip policies to see which is cheapest. Now, this is going to, I think this is always going to happen, something mm. like this. But with, 
in the UK, obviously we have a we have a good complaint um, um, sort of culture. Kind of culture. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, we do like to complain. And, and whenever you get, whenever you're going to complain, you're like, I'm going to go to the ombudsman. Yes, yes. And you can't do that in aviation at the no, moment. But uh, soon you will be able to. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see just how many mm. people complain mm. now. Yeah, now that they've got this big sort of backing. And I know we really do give them a bit of a hard time, don't we, the, the Ryanair, but I mean, you know, there's always getting better. Them, really. I know. Well, no, well, I do. We always <laughs> fly with them because, I, I, I mean, I'd love to be able to fly Emirates and goodness knows what else, but the, the sad fact of the matter is that as a humble coach driver, there's no way in in well hell frankly that i'm going to be able to do that by you know flying first class business class or any other class frankly other than cattle class you can, no, <laughs> you, uh, you can you can fly business class you just have to blag your way in there yes i know i don't have the charm and sophistication of <laughs> mr oh, carl Stemmings. thank you thank you indeed absolutely <laughs> no but this is a good idea i think this is gonna it is, is gonna be it a, is um i think a lot of airlines may well adopt this just because it gives them uh, the customers going to think oh well, you know they're they're adhering to this kind of thing. We, we'll um, you know Absolutely. if and we have any issues, we'll complain. And ten out of ten for Ryanair being the first to actually step yeah. up. That's for a, a bit of a shock. It is a bit of a shock. <laughs> shock. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we're all a bit. Tired. Perhaps uh, perhaps Tiger will uh, adopt this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, there seems to be they some hilarity be going on. Leave, actually. Yeah, the first to leave. <laughs> yeah, because uh, if it's anything like somewhat like over here, we have the uh, number of ombudsmen as well. Mm. Uh, we, I think we inherit. From from you when we split off, but um, the the thing with uh, the ombudsman and the telecommunications industry is that they uh, every time somebody complains, the first thing they say is, "Have you tried with the um, with your local carrier?" Yeah, okay, fine. But any complaint, whether it's valid or not, the carrier involved gets charged. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it means that if you're talking to a phone company and you're yeah. starting to get upset with them. Uh, you can just go, oh, look, I, I'm sure the ombudsman would help on this one, but I, I'd, I'd like to avoid that. And they go, yeah, okay, here we go, we'll fix it for you. A lot of the times, not always, mm. but a lot, because if you just go to the ombudsman and complain, they get charged. Right, okay. Uh, so you might actually, some, in some that. cases, you might get a better deal, actually, in some respects, if you complain with the airline first and sort of threaten ombudsman action, essentially. I think that's the yeah. last line. And the drop it in. Yeah. The Obmanson's the last line of yeah, sort of. Yeah, if I don't get what I want, basically, I'm yeah. taking this further. I'm telling my mummy. Yes, I'm taking. No, I'm telling your mummy. That's the, that's oh, okay. the more successful <laughs> right, okay. way of doing it. Anyway, yes. on to the next story. And Grant, this one is with you. Yay! Uh, Beijing's new airport will have seven runways handling 100 million passengers annually. Seven <laughs> hey, runways. London Heathrow, have you listened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're very happy with our one runway. I'll have you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you had two at Heathrow. Do we? Anyhow, have two? Oh, we do have two. My apologies. See, see, yeah. this this is why I shouldn't be doing this show. I know nothing at all about aviation. But you learn so much. <laughs> yes, it's true. No, every day is in fact a school day. Anyway, so yes, so but we certainly don't have seven runways. That's. Uh, no, and what's really scary is that on this page to the right of the image, the yeah. advert that's come up, it says Tiger Air. They are listening. They know what we've been talking about. <laughs> yes, no, I think, I think, I think unfortunately, that is uh, uh, the, the wonder of Google uh, sort of infiltrating mm-hmm. your, uh, your thing, because that's not the advert we have at this end. So it's obviously been tailored to your, <laughs> your very needs. Obviously, you need to fly with them more. Okay. That's what they're telling you, yes. <laughs> Twitch, twitch, twitch. Stop it. Stop it. Anyway, on with the story, Anyhow, please. Grant. On with the show. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the story says that uh, Beijing is currently constructing a giant new international airport in the, in the uh, southern Dajing district of the city, 
which when fully completed will be able to deal with 100 million passengers passing through its doors each year. According to China Daily, construction on the runway started last year and construction on the airport's terminal started in September 2015. Before 2025, the airport will be able to handle 72 million passengers, 2 million tonnes of cargo and mail, and have four runways, according to a plan approved by the government last year. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's located in Beijing's, uh, in the southern Beijing's uh, Dajing district. The airport is expected to meet the capital's rising demand for air travel and help balance development in Beijing's southern and northern areas. Uh, master plan, airport's master plan has been designed by airport consulting firm NACO, 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 I guess, and will feature seven runways, six of which will be used for civilian use and one for military. Uh, a ground transportation centre will provide the airport with public transportation links to high-speed rail, metro expressways, Beijing airport bus routes, local buses and inter-airport transportation system. A new rapid transit line is planned which will ferry passengers from Beijing South Railway Station in 30 minutes. So, wow. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? We were just, I, was, I just threw the graphic up there of, 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 the, of the actual uh, airport map, if you like. It's going to be absolutely yeah. crazy, isn't it? Honestly, oh, yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy. Seven runways. I know, I know. I, you can only imagine the headache the tower must have on a on a minute by minute headache. basis <laughs> trying to deal with all that. They traffic. need more than one tower, I'd imagine, to yeah. to, to, um, to cope with all that. Yeah, absolutely. But that's huge, yeah. though, isn't it, Grant? I mean, you, I mean, you guys have got some pretty big airports in in you know in Australia, but um, obviously, oh, uh, yeah, we got we got one or two reasonable ones, mm. but uh, the US have some really huge ones uh, mm. where they. They do have multiple parallel runways. Oh, San Francisco. They actually give them slightly different runway numbers. Mm. Wow. That's pretty Perfect. cool, though. Yeah, absolutely. Dear, oh dear. Anyway, on to the I'm next story. just clicking here. Wait, there we go. We've got go. a bag. There we go. Have you? Right. Yep. And breaking the technology again, next are we? Story. There yes. we go. Good. Yeah, splendid. Just looking in the chat room as well. And there's the, the discussions going on in the chat room here. Uh, Pip's in there keeping everyone in check. Yeah, that's what I like to see. <laughs> and Doc, and yeah. Dr. Steph is still Dr. Steph yeah. is still awake. Wow, well done, Dr. Good. Steph. Ten out of ten. So on the Guardian <laughs> website, this yes. one, and that's despite us talking, she's still awake. That's amazing. That really is. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it must be lots of coffee. That's the only thing I can caffeine, caffeine. <laughs> so the Guardian <laughs> website, the headline, this one, and this is a story we we cover too much. Really, we shouldn't have to cover these kind of stories on mm. the show. But this, uh, the headline, BA pilot's eyes damaged by military laser shone into cockpit at Heathrow Airport. Again, really. So, um, I mean, this is ridiculous. So with the uh, British Airways pilot who has reportedly been left with significant damage to his eyesight after a military strength laser was shone into the cockpit of their plane while he was landing at Heathrow. Uh, this appears to be the most serious laser attack to date in the UK. The pilot in question suffered burned, uh, burned retina in his right oh. eye and has not worked since, yeah. according to the head of BA's uh, Pilots Association, BALPA. The incident uh, has escalated concerns over the problem of laser attacks, and Balpa claims that one in two pilots has been in a plane targeted with lasers in the last 12 months. The unnamed BA pilot was in the co-pilot seat as the plane was landing at London's airport in the spring this year what? and was later treated for eye injuries at the hospital in Sheffield, Balpa's General Secretary Jim McColson said. British Airways said it was investigating the claims and the safety of our crew and customers is always their main concern. And they also urge all their pilots to report such incidents so we can take, uh, make the authorities aware. 
McColson said the incident showed the dangers that pilots now face from lasers, which have become easy to buy on the internet, and said that uh, one tenement block in Glasgow was known as the laser block to pilots, and police from the number of planes targeted uh, from there while landing at the city's airport. Uh, less severe incidents have uh, been described, uh, described as to children or youthful delinquency, uh, McColson said, and the kids' lasers were not powerful enough to cause physical harm. But he says that lasers used in weaponry have now become available on the black market. No way. Uh, this is, I mean, this is ridiculous now. There needs to be, there needs to be some kind of... Um, I mean, Clamp down on this. I mean, I was familiar with, with lasers, obviously, and I mean, I've got one that I, I drive the cat nuts with because she absolutely loves it. I mean, she, she goes chasing around, but, and I, but I certainly wouldn't be stupid enough to, to sort of beam it out of a window, etc., etc. But um, I didn't realise that you could buy on the market ones that could physically damage your I eye. I mean, that's, yeah. that's horrific. I mean, I mean, I can, I mean uh, do you have a, a similar, presumably you have a similar issue um, where you are, Grant? Yeah, we do. We do have uh, a, a number of laser strikes, as the phrase goes, laser mm. sightings. Uh, I was actually talking to a, a Qantas captain, uh, Dale Newman, was uh, I was, at, was at a seminar with him, and he uh, he was saying that he was one of the uh, one of the early targets of a laser. Um, I believe it was in WA, and it was a, a foreign gentleman, ex-military, who had a military-grade laser, and he was targeting the aircraft, and. Uh, yeah, he was like, oh, I was just trying to distract the pilots, was what he said in court. And they just jumped all over him and um, deported him because uh, <laughs> he legally he admitted to um, interfering and tampering with an air, you know, air well, operation. Endangering everyone's lives. I mean, that's the, that's the terrifying yeah, yeah, thing. It's terrible. Mean, I'm just, I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we've all gone through silly phases in our lives, haven't we? We're, we've done stupid things. All right, maybe, you know, we're, now that we're a bit older and wiser, perhaps we wouldn't. But I, I'd be, I, I certainly wouldn't have ever done anything like that where you'd endanger so many lives. That's mm. the... That's the scary thing. And I, as I say, this, this is new. I didn't know you could buy military-grade lasers, like, you know, all right, on the black market. You can buy anything on the internet. Well, nowadays, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's, that's same, true. That's how yeah. things are. Isn't mm. it? it is a horrific uh, It is a horrific story, really. But um, hopefully that, what they need to do is they need to obviously catch someone. Mm. You know, that, that, that well, there have, been, there have been stories, I think, but, over one couple but of then, weeks. But then put a massive penalty on them, you know, mm. for doing this. Yeah. Would be, it would be a good well, one. Well, they've tried that as well, and... You know, some some sometimes the people who are doing this are the ones who aren't watching the TV and you know don't mm. know about this stuff. Yeah. They don't catch up with the news. They're mm. no. you know not aware of what's going on. And yeah, look, it's it's. I reckon the best thing is to uh, have a have an aircraft that flies around and they you know when the, when there's sightings mm. going on and people laser activity going on, put the aircraft up and it's got a laser turret of its own. And so when the lasers it automatically uh, targets the laser that's shining at it and shines right back at it. Yeah. yeah. Well, certainly it could be. I mean, is that a job that drones could uh, do? possibly do? Maybe yeah. that could be a useful. We'll patent that. We'll patent yeah, that. Absolutely. Quick, yeah, yeah, quick. That's yes, idea. Absolutely. Heard it here first. We'll get you here. We'll get you here for the big air show yet, Grant. We'll patent yeah. that, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. We're going to make some yeah, money. Work. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that'll work. Uh, yeah. I, I, I figure shining a light laser back at them and blinding them is a, is a good idea, but uh, mm. even more fun is the uh, oh, look, let's just uh, trap back down the laser beam and, uh, you know, with a laser guided bomb or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, take, take out, out the half whole a tenement, time. you know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, maybe that won't work under the current. <laughs> climate uh, but uh, yes that's a great idea however anyway on to the next story and this is on the telegraph uh, travel website oh what and it's airlines my favorite is. thing and uh, it's so it is wow, wow. Air. 
there we go. Sorry, it's our favourite thing. I don't know. We, we stumbled across Wow Air like big time a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, Wow Air offers £99 transatlantic flights from Bristol. This is very exciting. I'm going to Bristol. This is amazing. Yeah, Tickets. You know, you've, you might, yeah. yeah. I'll, you, you'll find the catch. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Okay. okay. Uh, this is the excitement of me reading these stories for the first time. Uh, tickets now <laughs> on sale with fares from Bristol, Toronto, Montreal, Washington, D.C., and Boston, starting from only £99 one way. What is it? Sort of seven, £800 to come home. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, travellers in Wales. Why in Wales? Honestly. Uh, travellers in Wales and the South Wales. What did they, what did they do that we... Uh, anyway, yeah. Come on, do it, bring it to Norwich. <laughs> Mm, Sorry. Yeah, uh, right. Travellers in Wales and the South West have been handed a welcome boost by the arrival of WOW Air at Bristol Airport. The Icelandic low-cost carrier will begin flying from the city in May, offering fares to four cities, Toronto, Montreal, Washington, D.C. and Boston, for as little as £99 one way. Its services are not direct. Ah, there's the snag. Uh, right. Ah. <laughs> uh, anyone hoping to take advantage must fly via... What's that? Re 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 Reykjavik. Reykjavik. That's Iceland. Reykjavik. Oh, I see. Uh, but they are hard to beat when it comes to the price. Bristol has no direct flights to Canada or the US, so anyone in the region heading to either country must travel via London or another major European hub in any case. Uh, wow, Air will fly from Bristol to Reykjavik. What did you say? Reykjavik. Reykjavik, sorry, yes. on Mondays, Wednesdays <laughs> and Fridays from where they can join a service of one of six cities, Boston, Washington, D.C., Montreal, Toronto, Los Angeles or San Francisco. Uh, according to its website, the £99 fares can be secured for departures to Boston on May the 16th, 18th and 25th, for departures to Montreal on September the 7th, 14th, 19th and 28th, and for departures to Toronto on the 7th and 14th of September. And for home, the homeward leg typically costs double, but even so, that's still not bad, is it? Let's be honest. So it ends up being £200 to come home. That's still 300 quid for a return trip. It's not bad for the States, is it? Most most flights from Heathrow to the States are around about 500 quid. Yeah, absolutely. So you're still making a sort of £200 saving. Um, uh, some way off that £99 headline fare, but good value nonetheless. Fares during the peak summer months are considerably higher, however. The A320 aircraft will operate the Bristol to Reykjavik uh, flight with single-class A321 and A330-300 aircraft operating the routes between Iceland and North America. As one of our strongest markets, we are delighted to continue to grow WOW airs presence in the UK says um, uh, says this person whose name I can't pronounce sorry about that the customers the co <laughs> the company's founder and CEO bringing our ultra low cost a transatlantic model to Bristol will make flying to the US and Canada much easier for those in the southwest and Wales Robert Sinclair chief executive office at Bristol Airport said he was thrilled at the news while visit Bristol tweeted its approval so just looking on, on uh, about Wow Air or mm. Wow Air, yes, sorry, and they've uh, they've got, <laughs> they've, uh, got a, um, they've got a they've got a fleet of a fleet. Gr of Grant's fleet. literally got his head in his hands here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. So uh, so Wow Air, they've got a fleet of four aircraft. They've yeah. got uh, they've got the A three twenties and the A three twenty ones, the two hundred dash two hundred series. They've got uh, three A330, 300s on order, hmm. um, which I think they should be in the process of getting now. But just looking on their website, they've actually got one of their um, Airbus A320s painted 
obviously with their Wow Air logo, yes. but they actually they actually uh, branded it as Wow Force One. Wow Force oh, One. Oh no! Dear. Yeah. Oh, no, that's got to be a terrible, terrible <laughs> thing, isn't it? But what's the seat pitch? What's the seat pitch? <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What is the seat pitch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty <laughs> horrific, I fear. <laughs> Yes. Anyone over two foot one is, um, yeah, is not. Is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It can be very uncomfortable. Oh, dear. Right, so it is. It yeah. is time, Grant, for the next story. Yes. Sorry, I was just, I was just busy looking up Wow Air on SeatGuru.com to see if I could oh, find it. Yeah, find, yeah. It, find it, Grant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's give it a whirl. Let's give it a whirl. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see. Airlines. Okay, well, while you're doing that, then uh, we'll, we'll do the next story. Um, oh, we'll, we'll, oh, we'll go to sorry, the chat room, actually. No, bad. no, carry on. We'll go to the chat room. Oh, we'll go to the chat room. We'll, uh, right, we'll we're looking that. at... Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. You carry John, on, Grant. Mr. Warner's in the chat room. Is he? And, yes. Um, and, yeah, he's, he just said on there, he said, £99, where's the cat? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, but and even he, so... Even so I mean, in the cargo hold. <laughs> yes, no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, you've got plenty of space in the cargo hold, though. That's the positive. You know, um, you've got... <laughs> Glenn, Glenn Towler's put uh, £99 and the seat... Um, is extra at £999. Oh, I see. No, I'm, I'm happy to stand. That's fine by me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's also put Pal. as well, he's put that, um, uh, Glenn Towler's put that 1650 New Zealand dollars is the cheapest fare that he can find uh, from New Zealand to New York. Blimey. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They're on, on yeah. to a winner here with this, uh, with this name, aren't they, certainly? But, uh, I'd love it. Yeah, you're going to love the seat pitch. Oh, really? Go on. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to go from Bristol to the North American lands via Reykjavik yes. in a 30 to 31 inch pitch seat. Right. 17 inches wide. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're going, wow, baby. Yeah, it's, yeah uh, absolutely. It's on the plus 200, side. 200 seats. Yes, on, on the plus side, somebody might come home pregnant, I suppose, if it's that close. I, I don't oh, really know. Blimey, I know. <laughs> It's a bit cosy. It's just through breathing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just, yeah, so, so, you, so you're going to be really good friends with the person next to you by the end of the flight. So basically, basically if, you, if, you, yeah. if, you, if you take your, you your seven-inch tablet with you, yes, yes, um, it will yes. look like a 50-inch flat screen. Oh, it's compared yeah. to the, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, 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 a, that's a winner. That is a real winner <laughs> for me. Yeah. Oh, right. So. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. My ear <laughs> was hitching. I just realised I got the wrong camera on when I did that. Oh, sorry, oh, he's itching his head. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yes. So next story then, uh, Mr. McCarran. Yes. Okay, yeah, I've, I've, I've stopped being shocked by the thought of... Uh... <laughs> yes, you really, yeah. you're, you're ready, yeah. are you? You, you, you can take it on board. Yeah, deep breaths, everyone. Oh, let's, let's move on, on from the shock. 31 inches, no yeah, way. Absolutely. 30 inches. <laughs> Anyhow, yes. I mean, that's 12... 30... Oh, yeah, no, wrong. Um, okay. Yeah, cozy, I think, is the best way to describe yeah. that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Long-haul pain. Yeah. Um, okay, so Thomson Airways flight from Bristol to Tenerife forced to return to UK after windscreen smashed mid-flight. No way. Plane was forced to make an emergency U-turn due to a technical issue. All right. Yeah. Okay. Online posts said people were so afraid some wouldn't reboard the plane. Right. And the flight yeah. from Bristol was around two hours into the four-hour journey. Wow. Oh, right. So, quite a way then, yeah. Yeah. A Thomson Airways flight was forced to make an emergency U-turn back to the UK after the plane's windscreen smashed at 30,000 feet, said passengers. The flight from Bristol to Tenerife was around two hours into the four-hour journey yesterday when it turned around and diverted to London Gatwick. Two passengers claimed in a text message to their daughter that they were allowed to look into the cockpit and they described the smashed windscreen as a right mess. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, the daughter posted a copy of the text message on Twitter, adding parents were supposed to be flying to Tenerife for a cruise. Turns out their plane windscreen smashed mid-flight. 
Another Twitter user said her mother-in-law was on board the plane and some passengers were so scared when they landed at Gatwick, they didn't want to get back on the Boeing 757. Side note, interesting, the photo here, which is at least of a Thompson Airways aircraft, is a 737. Anyhow, close enough, it's a Boeing, it's Thompson, so two out of three ain't bad, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not bad with, at all. Yeah, with the uh, modern media, it could have been a Qantas A380, but anyway. Well, absolutely, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what, actually what we were just discussing, actually. I'll just put the picture up for you. Everyone. Yeah. This is essentially... I, well, when I, when I found this news story, I, I just I put my head in my hands and thought, again, yeah. a media. I mean, this absolutely. is a Daily Mail. Yeah. I mean, quite... I I mean, can't, any, I, anyone, even, even Matt, I realized, can't read the da I can't read the Daily Mail. It makes me angry. But <laughs> even, 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 even my co-host here, Matt Smith, yes, with his, nothing with about his limited knowledge yeah, of, of aircraft, yeah. knew that that was was not a 757 no, on that picture. Completely wrong. That is quite blatantly a 737-800. Outrageous, honestly. Well, I like this bit where they, uh, they they say, Thompson declined to explain why the plane returned to the UK despite being situated over Porto in Portugal when it turned around and being more than halfway into the flight. I think it's pretty obvious. They didn't want to get all the way down the end there and land and um, you know, then have to go unserviceable waiting for somebody to ship bits down, yeah. get back to London. And we're nice long runways, so yeah. and lots of good crash services and yeah. ready access to everything they need just <laughs> yes. in case, and uh, yeah. lots of mechanics and bits. Yes, and parts, parts, which quicker. is always nice. Yeah. I think parts are very important yeah. when you've got a broken windscreen. Oh, definitely, you know, definitely, definitely. Oh, very. One thing yeah. I was going to say, I, I flew on one of these earlier this year, Grant, to to Lanzarote on one of these aircraft here, and uh, on the seven three seven dash eight that Thompson used, and they've got those new scimitar winglets on the end. Mm -hmm. I think they're pretty cool. I, I do quite yeah. like them. They are pretty cool looking. You know. So, so what, are the, what are those then? The uh, we normally have the sharklets, which yeah. are the ones yes, that come yeah, off yeah, 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 at yeah. the end. Uh, the scimitar ones, are, they're kind of like uh, a rebirth of what Airbus used on, on their Airbus products, right. where they have like a, a V. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, the sort of the two fins, yeah. essentially. Uh, yeah. But sort of mm, um, right. uh, Boeing have kind of, of, of the scimitar ones are slightly more, um, yeah. they look more stylish, I would oh, say. Oh, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they've gone for up and down. and. Yeah. Uh, because you've got Boeing winglets, you've got um, the original A3, 18, 19, 20, 21 had the little wingtip fences like the A380 has, the, the mm -hmm. up and down little triangles on the end. They're, they're basically a wingtip fence. Mm -hmm. And then Airbus turned around and said, all right, we are going to do it. Um, we are going to make the wing that little percentage better. And they went with sharklets. And yeah, now Boeing's got the scimitars. And, so, so what do we yeah. think? What do we think the difference is? I mean, is one wing is wing, one winglet better design-wise than another? I mean, is there any actual sort of benefit, if you like, or just does it still you know carry there the same? There's a fuel saving, isn't there? I think it's, it's which, fuel percent, savings? which yeah, of the two in, is better? In cruise, in cruise, in if cruise, you yeah. mm. well. I think the I think the um, scimitar design does a little better the, uh, than just the normal. The, the normal winglets will give you a few percentage uh, points of savings mm. on fuel burn uh, in cruise. Mm. So if you're going distances on a one-hour flight, works out okay. Um, it's a little heavier, so it mm. burns a little bit more because it's heavier, right. a bit more drag. But it, it um, just because it's out there in the wind, but it, because it, it fixes a lot of the wingtip vortices issues by um, stopping the air rolling over the sides, it actually gives you less drag and better economy and all that kind of stuff. Right. And Yeah, the longer flight makes it um, a lot better. So putting them on a long-haul aircraft is mm. a really good thing. So do we actually know what, what, what actually happened to the wind, windscreen? Was it just, just a bird strike or something? I don't, I don't know. Oh, okay. it, it, it says it, it smashed it at 30,000 feet. I mean, that would be... Yeah, probably... yeah. Heating, cooling, multiple layers, mm. it's like a sandwich. Right. And it's mm. probably fine one of the layers 
just, just completely ruptured, and that's it. Once one's shattered. gone, yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. So, so it's not like it sort of fell out or anything silly. I mean, no, it's just God, a, no, no, yeah. no. I mean, yeah. these have got sort of multiple backup sort of tight, as as Grant yeah, said. You know, layers. these are multiple layers. Yeah. Um, I mean, as as like the uh, the um, fuselage windows that we look out of when we're passengers, and that mm. a lot of people think that that is that's it. There's just one piece of glass no, there, and that's no. it. But there's not. There's obviously you know it's layers. Yeah. Um, okay. Just a quick hello in the chat room as well to uh, Captain Nick. Uh, he's joined us in the chat room. Um, he's uh, just got in from an overnight trip, Antigua to Gatwick, Ooh, and he's going to stay up another hour. Um, so he's, gonna, he's just going to join us for a little bit there. So uh, hello to you, man. Captain Nick. Hello, Captain Nick. Yes, and out of interest for uh, those doing seat pitch comparisons ah. on seat You, you really have got a bee in your bonnet about this, haven't you? <laughs> I, I, okay, well, economy class on a Qantas A380 is 31 inches. 17.5 inch wide seat. Okay. So yeah, it's 30 inches. Our 31 inches. I'm not happy with either. Right. But um, it's slightly yeah, better. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, six foot two. I don't really like having my no. knees no. pressed into the seat. But no, yeah, no. you get used to it. And I must admit, that's one of the things that surprised me. With I did a Ryanair, um, not Ryanair, EasyJet when we went on holiday, and I was a mate. It's one of the the, the what is it? It's the A320, isn't it? The A320 that I fly yeah, with with yeah, them, yeah. yeah so I'm, yeah. I'm getting there. I'm learning, um, and it's, it's the A320 that we fly. And actually, ironically, uh, it's one of the few yeah. things where I can where I can comfortably sit, and my knees don't touch the seat in front. And that's mm. the first time wow. that I've ever had that. Yeah. Um. And and I'm six foot, so it, it's it's uh, it was really quite a, quite an amazing thing. It's yeah, like, I, I find out with EasyJet as well. Yeah. The leg room is brilliant. It's incredible. You know, it's yeah, really good. Considering it's a low cost carrier mm. and, and that mm. kind of thing, it, it's really good. Anyway, on to the next story. Next story is on Flight Global site, and the headline: Mexican 737-300 suffers gear collapse uh -oh. after touchdown. This is another one. These have been happening quite regularly just lately, um, as Grant will probably know. Um, Mexico City's International Airport was forced to close um, a runway for four hours after a Boeing 737-300 suffered a landing gear collapse after touchdown. The incident uh, involved a Magna Charter service UJ-779 from Cancun. Mexico City's operator states that runway 05 left uh, two, or 23 right was closed after the aircraft arrived at around uh, half six on the 26th of November, which was early this week, wasn't it? Uh, the aircraft in question, uh, X-ray Alpha Uniform November Mike, sustained a main gear collapse as it landed, the operator adds. None of the 139 passengers and five crew members were injured in the incident, and uh, images from the scene... Uh, indicate that the aircraft's left-hand CFM International CFM 56 power plant contacted the uh, contacted the ground following the collapse. Meteorological data from Mexico City at the time shows no unusual uh, weather activity, and Flight Global's Fleet's analyzer database shows that the aircraft in question is a 27-year-old airframe which was originally delivered to United Airlines in 1988. It also served in the fleet of Brazilian budget carrier Gol. Uh, while circumstances of the event have yet to be determined, it follows other landing accidents involving older 737s in the past month. Uh, BA franchise partner Comair suffered a gear collapse to a 737-400 at Johannesburg in October uh, this year, while Shaheen Air uh, 737-400 was badly damaged at Lahore uh, early in November. Um, these stories, if you go on to uh, the brilliant site that is Aviation Herald, you'll be able to uh, look back at these particular um, stories that have happened in the, in the last few months. 
but uh, another another old old school seven three seven Grant uh, having uh, yeah. having gear problems. Yeah, well, you know, they uh, a well maintained aircraft will last forever, but it depends on you know how did the uh, pilots land it? Was it a heavy landing? Uh, how well did the uh, the gear lock down? Was there a locking issue? All those kind of things can add up to it. There was a, an aircraft uh, recently, I believe, in Kazakhstan, where they thumped it onto the onto the uh, tarmac so hard, all the gear collapsed, and it ripped an engine off. Um, so you're not walking, you know, you're not going to use that aircraft again. But uh, yeah, look, uh, 737-300, still an okay aircraft. I mean, 27 years old. I've, geez, I hate to think how old the Cessna was that I was last flying. Um, <laughs> I think it was pretty close to my age. But um, yeah, <laughs> so, so so about 25 then, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Okay, checks in the mail. Thank you. You're going to bankrupt me, boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the uh, a lot of a lot of these, know, right? The, in the uh, in the UK here, Grant, a lot of these older the older sort of seven three sevens are used as cargo aircraft. A lot of cargo yes, same carriers here. use those here. Uh, very popular around here. Normally, you see that if you if you click onto uh, Flight Radar twenty four in the early hours of the morning, you'll find these. Um, Flying around the UK, crisscrossing um, the, uh, mm-hmm. the UK mm-hmm. late in the evening. But uh, these, uh, these are you know, this, this is another another one of these instances involved. I don't think it's a pro- like I said, like Grant said, it's not. I don't think it's a problem with the aircraft. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. Uh, I, I think it's maintenancey type, um, you know, issues mm-hmm. possibly, or uh, the parts just being a little bit heavy-handed. Yeah, I possibly. I have to say, Grant, just going back to the the earlier story, your 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 story. Uh, on the seat pitch and things has really ignited what I can only describe as a furore in the chat room uh, of people discuss- <laughs> discussing said issues. Scrolling. It's fantastic. It's uh, it's really good. Anyway, on to the next story, and this is on Flight Global again, and it's the A320neo secures joint US and European certification. Airbus's re-engined A320neo has secured type certification for European and US regulators. The Pratt & Whitney PW1100 uh, G powered aircraft has been approved by the European Aviation Safety and the uh, Agency so Safety Agency and the USFAA confirms the airframer. Airbus says the CFM International Leap equipped version will be certified in the coming months along with the A321 NEO and the A319 NEO. The company launched the program almost exactly five years ago. Chief Executive Fabrice Brieger says the aircraft is now cleared for its first delivery. Airbus has been aiming to hand over the first uh, over the first customer aircraft by the end of this year three flight test aircraft powered by PW1100G's clocked more than 1070 hours over the course of some 350 flights Airbus says that 300 hours were performed in an airline like environment to uh, prepare the oper- for operational service what on earth was that uh, the re-engined jet is intended to cut fuel burn by 15% through the fitting of more efficient power plants and sharklet wing tips. There we are, it's the sharklet wing tips again. Back again. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Airbus has secured ordered for orders for more than 4,300 jets across the A320neo family. So the A320neo, uh, and uh, this is obviously a new engine option, 
Um, and uh, not only did the engines being uh, changed on these aircraft, I mean, Grant will know all this anyway because he's, he's an aviation he's, he's guru. Knows, he knows what he's talking he knows, about. But, uh, oh, no, 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 I can fake it. I can fake it. <laughs> but they're making other improvements, uh, aerodynamic refinements, large curved winglets or sharklets, weight savings as well, and also new uh, aircraft cabin interiors with uh, larger hand luggage spaces. And have also, they're also on the NEOs having an improved air purification system. Uh, which is quite good. Uh, customers of the NEO are going to have a choice of either CFM International Leap 1As or the Pratt & Whitney PW1100G engines, as Matt was saying. Mm. Um, I think uh, Qantas having some of the NEOs, Grant. I'm honestly not, not aware of that. Um, mm. I haven't kept up. The, the latest thing from Qantas is that the, the Redtail long haul are going with the uh, 787-9. And uh, shockingly, they'll have the larger aircraft and they'll have fewer seats on it than Jetstar do with their Dash 8. You know, that's the uh, plastic sardine tin where they actually have, uh, I think it's 332 people on board a Dash 8, uh, a 787-8, which is marketed by Boeing as a 240, 250 seat aircraft. So, mm. yeah. Wow. Talk yeah. about your seat pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, don't start that off again. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, oops. There goes the chat room. Whoosh. <laughs> it's, whoosh. it's on fire today. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's bit. Uh, um, Carry on. Yeah. You go on. Get it on. Oh, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm just about to go and do a quick look up to see if um, they're ordering any neos, but I think they're just sticking with what they've got at the moment. Mm -hmm. Do you think um, there's been, been talking at uh, Grant about uh, re-engineing the the A380? Do you think that's going to um, mm. happen? Well, uh, there are some who say that if they did it, it would finally actually make the uh, the the payload range and, um, and performance figures that it was marketed as. But honestly, the, the A380 as it currently stands with its standard engines is still a pretty good money spinner. Um, otherwise, Emirates wouldn't be using that in the 777 mm. to um, destroy every other airline in the universe. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they start with the, 7, the 777 and then go, oh, let, now we'll add an A380. Uh, now we'll add two A380s. And let's add a 777 back in. You know, it's, it's quite impressive what they're doing. Mm. But, uh, yeah, they're, big, they're pushing really hard to get the Neo version of the A380. And I think uh, Airbus, once they've got some bandwidth spare after they do the Neo of the A330 and so on, I, they, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I know one of the Arab Air, uh, Middle Eastern um, airlines has removed some of its first class and the showers and so on, and it's put more business and more economy in. And they've got over 600 people, and then they haven't. Ha they've still got exactly the same amount of space as they had before. Mm. Uh, they haven't changed the seat pitch or anything like that. They've just taken out a couple of um, couple of, of the first class to give more space for more economy. Wow. And yeah, there were 618 people, I think it is, and yeah, they're making some money out of that. Well, and I think a lot, of the, a lot of the thing is, is you know, you have to accept as much as you'd love to have all this space and things. They have got to make money, haven't they? They've got to make ends. Hello, Carlos. <laughs> What's the matter with you? <laughs> I'm just reading a comment in the chat room. Um, no, oh, dear. Um, Grant, so... Is, is it uh, safe you, to read out live yeah, on air? <laughs> uh, Grant, I think, Grant, you can see the chat room, can't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Pips, oh, hello. Uh, yeah, Pips, Pips just said... I'm uh, the only one that can't. This is not Pips, but, Pips, but, hey, Grant, the Qantas A A380 behind you has four engines. Uh, he <laughs> thought he thought that Qantas 380s only have three engines. <laughs> I think he's referring yeah, that, to that, the... Um, the money saving. <laughs> 
Oh, that's terrible. Is that pick. just some in joke? Yeah, that I don't you, understand. Well, okay. I'll explain it to you in the break now. <laughs> okay, I'll explain it right. to you in the QF, break. QF32 blew an engine coming out of Singapore. Oh, um, it didn't fall off the pod, but uh, caused a lot of problems for it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. It's quite an interesting. I'll story, send you the one. air crash investigation. Splendid, link. lovely. I yeah. can't wait for that riveting league. Yeah. I'm having <sighs> trouble sleeping. Obviously, that will help. So and, uh, <laughs> out of interest, yes, the um, A320 Neo. Uh, Qantas has firmed up a three-year order for the uh, three-year-old order for them. So oh, cool. this, according to Australian Business Traveller, uh, uh, back in 2014. So, yeah, they are um, Jetstar, not Qantas, but Jetstar will have the A320neos, and Qantas may do it at some point, but its domestic fleet is all 737-800s. So they're definitely, so, definitely looking into into yeah. this 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 re-engined. Um, model. Yeah, oh, they're, they're, yeah. They've, they've got orders for them. Mm. So Sorry, I didn't know off, offhand, but... Yeah, outrageous. Really outrageous. Oh, no. <laughs> the next story... Oh, on... I think it was because it was Jetstar. Just me going, yeah. ah. <laughs> no, this is Grant. This, yeah, this so is Grant's Next story, story then, yeah. Grant. Oh, that's right. Um, oh, <laughs> speaking of the A330 Neo... Oh, indeed. Um, yeah, I'll just get it to refresh. Um, yeah, good luck with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're having similar words. problems here in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Technology is great. Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Rolls-Royce, oh, here we go, hang on, yeah. there we go. Rolls-Royce has carried out the initial run of a demonstrator Trent 7000 engine, the power plant which will be fitted to the Airbus A330neo. The aero engine manufacturer says the power plant successfully completed its first run on a test bed at the company's Derby headquarters. It will be the exclusive engine for the A330, 800neo and Dash 900neo family with a thrust rating of 68 to 72,000 pounds. That's a whole lot of thrust. Engine is a successor to the Trent 700 for the current 330 line, but will feature architecture from the Trent 1000 TEN, which is built for the Boeing 787, and technology for the Trent XWB for the A350, which I can attest they are a very impressive-looking engine hanging off the wing of that aircraft. Yeah, hang on, I've got a picture there. I'll I'll bring that picture up. Look, you can see it it in the chat room there, look. Or when we were shooting video of the A350 when it came into Sydney and, and Perth and all that, I was... Able to stick my head up the tailpipe, so to speak, of the really? engine. I went out a look and went, Ooh, yeah, I bet. Look yeah. at all those stators and rows. Well, the picture we're, sh- we're showing is as it they're, res- they're, they're putting the, the housing around it, aren't they? This, oh, the this cowlings. Picture. Yeah, the, the cowlings, cowlings lifted off. Absolutely yeah. incredible, mm. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're very impressive pieces mm. of technology these days. And uh, mm. yeah, look, uh, um, good on you, Rolls Royce. You need it. You need a bit of luck and you need a bit of uh, money coming in again. Uh, they're, they're not doing very well in the. Um, single aisle narrow body market but they have a lot of engines in the wide body market and they're quite happy with that they 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 say they they're mostly focusing on wide body and maybe when the um you know the next replacement for the 737 a320 in the 2025 area mm. maybe they'll get a look in there but mostly they're just focusing on the uh, on the wide body yeah absolutely I'm just looking, yes, I'm just, great I'm just, engines. They are. I mean, look at the guy standing underneath there. That's pretty cool. <laughs> hang on a sec. Hang on. I think that's a job that I'd want, I think, actually. I'd know nothing it? about it, but it'd be nice to, <laughs> just to stand just there. Just stand there and go, yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit like me. Whenever I go to, we, me and my, my friend Tom, we have, this, we have this thing, like whenever we go to a, a, either an aviation museum or a museum that has anything to do with engines or what that kind of because you almost always, even at Flixton, there is a Merlin engine, you know, the legendary Merlin engine that's just sitting there. Uh, and and it, there's this routine where we sort of send pictures like every time we're at a museum we have to send a picture of the Merlin and send it to it's one of those isn't it you sort of just stand there in awe you've no idea how it works actually no Tom probably knows how it works because his dad flies as well but it's just like trying to work you just you just stand there and think yeah that's really amazing I've no idea how it works but it is amazing <laughs> <laughs> 
Just don't be standing there when they turn it on. Uh, right? No, no, absolutely <laughs> no. not. Well, or, yes, indeed. Or prepare the the wrath. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on that to the next story. It's Flight Global. Yep. And the headline: Airbus begins manufacturing Beluga XL structures. Uh, I'm sorry. This, what? This is an aircraft that we featured. I think as last episode, the week the week before. Right. It was the Beluga. It's the one that carries the the Airbus parts. It's the oh ugly, yes, 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 the yeah. The, 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 it sort of looks like a dolphin. Doesn't yes, it? they call it the yes, dolphin. Thing. Yes, it, yeah. I'm with you. Up to speed, everyone. Yes. <laughs> so Airbus <laughs> expect to start manufacturing the centre wing box of the A330 based Beluga XL outside transport. Oh, eight size transport ne uh, early next year, uh, having already begun cutting fuselage frames. Mm -hmm. Uh, various Airbus plants, including St. Nazir and Nantes and Hamburg uh, and other suppliers, are involved in producing the manufacturer's drawings, which will feed into packages for the Beluga XL. Airbus says these components will be adapted from those developed for its A330-200 freighter. May, uh, Manching has commen uh, commenced at Nantes, or machining, sorry, has commenced at Nantes for the initial fuselage frame, uh, 40, which uh, on the A330 is located near the leading edge of the wing route. This paves way, says Airbus, to the production of the centre wing box in early 2016. These parts are being built for the initial non-flying test aircraft. And other uh, first cuts will take place in the very near future, says the airframe, including the rear fuselage work at Spanish supplier Airnova. Uh, final assembly of the aircraft is scheduled to commence in early 2017 and service uh, entry is planned for 2019. Airbus is developing the Beluga XL to replace the A300-600ST Beluga which forms the core of its airborne production logistics operation. Um, this is going to be awesome to see what this looks like when it comes mm -hmm. off the um, production line. Because obviously yeah. the older Beluga that, that they use now is based on the, three, the, mm. the A300, uh, which is like uh, one of Airbus's first kind of large, wide-bodied yeah. uh, passenger aircraft. And they obviously, they obviously um, you know, um, morph this into mm. what is the Beluga now. So it'll be nice to see the A330 with a with a kind of a, a bubble on top mm, to, give it, to give it that it's, it's space. It's not just a bubble on top either. They actually drop yeah. the forward fuselage. Really? Um, I, I managed to get up close and personal with one of these at uh, Avalon many years ago. I uh, mm. was doing tarmac. This was before, the, uh, probably would have been 2009, I think, um, maybe 2007. And we were down in the tarmac area uh, where they'd parked one around the back. It uh, wasn't out on public display. Uh, they'd used it, I think, to bring in the NH90 demo uh, prototype, like test bed, and uh, yeah, it was really impressive. It's 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 quite low. The the, the they actually drop the uh, they drop the nose down, and it, it sort of comes down underneath that really big bubble. And yeah, if you if you do a, a look up of the A300 Beluga, like I'm doing now, he says, looking away from the camera, um, <laughs> you'll you'll see it. It actually does. It's got a very shortened nose gear and. Uh, yeah, uh, just amazing, absolutely amazing what they do with it. Because uh, if if you look at it, you can see the whole, the way it swoops down, and that's to give them a nice long flat floor. The um, forehead above the cockpit opens up, and that's that a big door opens upwards, and that's how they, wow. they uh, get everything in and out. What do you, do you think? Uh, do you think, what do you think the uh, if Airbus um, suddenly decided to change and they they thought they'd make an A three eighty Beluga? What do you reckon? <laughs> Ooh, I mean, no? I mean, I mean, the A380, the A380 is not the most 
beautiful of looking of aircraft. Right. Okay. Uh, my personal uh, okay. view. Right. Um, I'm sure there are many now who will disagree probably, with you. Probably now. Yeah. Yeah, disagree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know, if they if yeah. they made a an yeah. a an A380 yeah. Beluga, yeah. Um, what you couldn't see there is uh, just do that again, Grant. Because uh, somebody put their Maybe hand me. up when he said that, yeah. You, you like them, yeah? yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. I, I, I think um, quite nice. It grows on you a bit, but have a look from above. Have a look at an A380 from above. That wing is huge. It's yeah, freaking yeah. huge, and yeah. it's designed for a longer aircraft. That, right. that wing is clearly designed for an, um, an aircraft with another 20 feet either end. You know, yeah. it's, Perhaps it's they are like of a Beluga it's, it's A380. Huge. Perhaps they but are. Can you imagine an A380 Beluga space. would be great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they'd be able to carry, like, well, other planes. Other planes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's flying. The other yeah, plane actually flying. Yeah. Inside, inside going round and round. Yeah. <laughs> oh, At yeah. least you could get away with flying drones in there. Well, yes, yeah, I think you, so. You'd be in yes. your own airspace. You in your own airspace. Literally. In your own yeah. airspace. Not doing any harm mm. to anything outside. Yeah. Yes, which is always nice. Anyway. Uh, Neil Braden in the chat room has just uh, said, uh, Grant, uh, loving the John Lennon glasses. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, that's my normal ones. Uh, right. <laughs> He's, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, stop me walking into walls. Oh, <laughs> right. Oh, yes, yeah, so that's um, highly recommended, you know, not walking and into I'm, walls. And I'm glad as well yes. that uh, we still have uh, Dr. Steph in the chat room. Do she's, we? She's, yeah, still she's still awake. awake. She's still awake. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think a, little, a little peal of applause, I think, really, because that's <laughs> yeah, quite, quite yeah, an achievement. Yeah. Well done, dear. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, next no, story. Uh, this this is you can uh, tell she runs marathons. She's still there. Oh god. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Oh, don't. Yeah. Pip's doing. Pip, yeah, Pip's, Pip's doing training for one yeah, at the Pip's moment. But we'll, for one. We'll, oh, that's right. He is too. Yeah, we'll give all yeah, the details out for that go. later. We uh, we posted it on Facebook and that we did, thing. Yeah. So uh, Pip is running the London Marathon. So Yay. if anyone feels like they can be a little bit generous and help him out, I'm sure he'd be great, grateful for any donations. We'll make sure we put that link on uh, at the end, and we'll mention how you get to it in a bit. But anyway, on to the next story. Um, boring, boring old me bringing things back to the the norm, and it is the. <sighs> Uh, this this story is awesome. I, I watched it a is. video to this last night. Yeah. And, what um, we'll do, actually, because uh, it, it's not working here at the moment, unfortunately, but uh, in the break, I'll fix it so that we can put the, put oh, the, the video, video. Yeah, I think the video yeah. is... Yeah, it's not. Um, so it's, it's not, not playing for some reason. So, okay. um, what we'll do is uh, I'll read the story oh, anyway. No, it is playing. Oh, it is there playing. We go. Okay. All oh, right. We'll, we'll do the story and then we'll yeah. play the video. Yeah. Okay. So it is uh, passenger films flight through terrifying Queensland lightning storm. Alarming footage shows the moment lightning strikes near a passenger plane. Uh, flying to Brisbane, Australia. Um, nervous flyers uh, look away. The moment the lightning strikes near a passenger plane in Australia has been caught on camera. Passenger Lee Castledean uh, yeah, Castledean um, was on board a plane flying to Brisbane, Queensland earlier this week when she, he captured an electric storm uh, playing out in the sky. Uh, Mr. Castledean uh, posted the short clip on his Twitter page on Tuesday asking followers to remind him to never fly again to Brisbane in November late at night. <laughs> Thankfully, the plane landed safely despite the unnerving conditions outside. On Monday, hailstones the size of tennis balls and golf balls were reported to have hit uh, southern Queensland. So is it sort of a bit uh, troublesome, the weather out there at the moment then? Oh, um, Brisbane always gets some amazing storms uh, in the in the spring and uh, summer and so on. It's uh, it's not tropical; it's subtropical, but it, it's pretty humid. It's pretty warm, and yeah, you. Uh, I used to live there for about ten years wow. and just remember a lot of really amazing yeah. storms. And in this case, it was an arcing between clouds. It, you know, it, it wasn't like it was going down and hitting the ground, or, or you don't see it hit the plane or anything. But 
that's why aircraft have those uh, little wicks coming off the back of the planes. If, if you're ever sitting there mm. and you see a little um, look at the back of the wing, you'll see a little um, long piece of almost looks like rubber, just a strip. Ah. And they're static, static discharge wicks. Yeah, and so I just, um, I've just been yeah, trying to play the video and it's not, it's not sort of working, but what I can do is I will just bring up the uh, still that's on that. Yeah, the still, I at. think the still's better than the video. Yeah, that is absolutely an incredible looking picture. Um, it's uh, something that uh, nightmares are made of. I think is the best way to to do that. But I mean, they're not I'll... they're not notoriously un um, you know thunderstorms aren't prone to uh, worrying aircraft too much, are they? I mean, or or am I dreaming that? No, but that's something we should ask. I mean, well, we've got Captain Nick in the chat room and and Pilot Pip. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I would imagine that both uh, Captain Nick and uh, and uh, Pip mm. as well have, have both flown through uh, thunderstorms. I mean, I know, I know from uh, I think uh, Top Gear, which uh, some some uh, maybe some of our international listeners won't necessarily know, but there's a program here in the UK was I should say called Top Gear, and I know Richard Hammond, who's one of the presenters, and they got a, a, a place where they could simulate lightning, and they put uh, this car, and he sat inside it, and they struck it with lightning, and that, and actually. Um, other than a very minor blip, nothing crashed, nothing stopped working, everything was all okay. I don't know whether it, uh, what effect um, lightning would have, say, on an, on an aeroplane. I suppose the uh, quite used... a bit actually. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Qantas Dash Eight was hit by lightning, and then they, they had all sorts of problems getting it started at the, and the and when they went to f start it up for the next flight. Really? Um, okay. There's there's been uh, a number of cases it can. Like, yeah, I've, I've heard of a number of aircraft having a few um, electricals fried, but generally uh, the fun part is uh, when it touches down on the ground and all mm. that, if it's had a lightning strike, uh, there was a case of a uh, Qantas ground worker who got blown across the tarmac. What, the minute it touched uh, the ground? It, yeah, well, the plane had landed, came in, and he went and plugged his headset in, and apparently there was a big zap and he got thrown backwards. No, and ouch. Yeah. That through, through the grapevine, but uh, yeah, look, Again, that's why they've got the static discharge wicks. And mm. uh, it, it, there's, there's been photos of aircraft that got hit and there's a, a, a black hole on the plane, you know, like a black mark on the plane and things. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd defer to the, uh, the pilots who have probably flown through them. I, I'm generally on the ground going, mm. no way. Uh, 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 no, there's, look, we, there's lightning which, in the distance. I'm not going up. No, which seems to be the general feel in the chat room, I think it's safe <laughs> yeah, to Cap say. Captain yeah. Nick has said uh, that it's uh, better when it discharges down the side of the air or down inside the aircraft. Uh, he's also put oh, that yeah. uh, he's been hit four or five times and always seems to hit by the first officer's feet. Oh, nice. <laughs> Charming. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, literally, indeed. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Anyway, on to the very final story in this particular section. And that one is over to you, sir. Oh, it's a top oh. ten. Ah. Should we alternate? Are we going to do the top ten? We'll do the top ten. Yeah, well, we? I'll yeah. do my usual bit. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> me, me, me and, uh, me and Grant will do. So we'll yeah, start yeah. at number ten. So we'll start at number, number ten. ten. So this is um, uh, a I'll, I'll world's run. top ten airliners in yes. 2015. So these were at the end of So it is the world's top ten airlines of 2015 voted for by travellers around the world. So we're going to start at number ten. I'll, I'll let Grant go first, yes, because so, he's the so, guest. So in, at, so in at number ten... 
Qantas Airways, flag carrier yeah. airline of Australia. <laughs> airline flies to, to 20 domestic destinations, 21 international destinations, uh, 21 international destinations in 14 countries across Africa, the Americas, Asia, Europe, and Oceania. And ever since they tied up with Emirates, they've been giving their passengers. Oh, sorry, they didn't put that bit in. No, okay, <laughs> I can say. And before we end up being sued, number nine. Uh, number nine, it's Eva Air, is the second largest Taiwanese airline flying to over 40 international destinations in Asia, Australia, Europe and North America. In June 2013, Eva became a Star Alliance member. The airline's slogan is, sharing the world, flying mm. together. Mm. Oh, slightly nauseating. Oh. Uh, number eight. Garuda, Indonesia. Yeah, okay. Uh, they have obviously... <laughs> either paid someone or they've changed a lot. Um, uh, National Airline of Indonesia operating one of the youngest average age of aircraft fleet in Asia with an average aircraft age as of December 2014 of 4.02 years. Wow. Consists of 130 aircraft due to grow to 145 in 2015. Garuda Indonesia offers the hospitality and culture of Indonesia to travelers worldwide. They do have, they do have a lot of good people on. I've flown with them a number of times mm. um, going to and from Indonesia on projects and things. The company was putting me that I was working for at the time was putting me on that one. Um, they upped their game a lot mm. after some um, bad press uh, from the uh, guy who was pretty much singing, coming down on final approach and not listening <laughs> to his first officer and As you do. smashed the aircraft in, came in way too hot, went off the end, big fireball, all that kind of thing. Oh, splendid. Um, yeah, new management, new changes, <laughs> all lovely. sorts of things yeah. like that. They, they, they really have, Garuda have turned themselves around, but I'm, I'm still... Slightly eyebrows up. Yeah, wary, wary, yeah. shall we say. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised, and then, then I realise it's Skytrax, and I'm like, ah, well, that explains it. So. Uh, Cap Captain Nick in the chat room has put uh, uh, Gorn Garuda, young aircraft, because they crashed all their old ones. <gasps> Correct. <Yeah. laughs> oh, that goes wild. <laughs> we, are, we are actually going to be sued by the end of okay. this program, aren't we? Uh, anyway, <laughs> in at number seven. At number seven, it's <laughs> ANA, All Nippon Airways. Japanese carrier. Mm -hmm. ANA, All Nippon Airways, is the 13th largest airline in the world by revenues. Uh, 2013, that was. Uh, founded in 1952, ANA flies on 72 international routes and 115 domestic routes uh, with a fleet of about 240 aircraft. Mm -hmm. um, ANA was the launch customer and biggest operator of the Boeing 787-8 or the Dash 8 Dreamliner. Um, and they were also, I think, the first operator to have battery issues with the Dreamliner. Ooh. I think. Ooh. Grant, well, Grant will probably say no, they weren't, but I think they were. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure they were the ones who had the initial yeah, battery issues. battery issues. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway, number six. Etihad Airways, <laughs> with a nice picture of three lovely ladies in, in uniform Hang in on. front of the Opera House in Sydney Harbour Bridge. Go figure. <laughs> As you do, um, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. We're just bringing that picture yeah. up for you now, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's, um, yeah, yeah that, that doesn't that, make any sense. Yes, good. Splendid. Yeah. Glad we had this chat. Etihad um, Airways commenced operations in November 2003, and the airline seeks to reflect the best of Arabian hospitality. Flies to destinations in the Middle East, Africa, Europe, Asia, Australia, and the Americas with a fleet of 117 Airbus and Boeing aircraft. Ooh. In at number five. One of my favourites, and this is Emirates, uh, founded in 1985 and flying out of Dubai with just two aircraft back mm -hmm. then. Emirates has now a fleet of more than 230 aircraft and currently fly to over 140 destinations in more than 80 countries around the world. 
The Emirates network is expanding constantly with over 1,500 flights uh, departing Dubai each week on their way to destinations uh, on six continents. Now, this, this is the one with uh, my favourite girl in the whole wide world advertising for them. Isn't yeah, it? that it is, is, yeah. The, the they also Jennifer have Aniston. They've got the oh. largest fleet of Airbus A380s as well, wow. which is pretty cool. Mm. Anyway, number four. Number four, Turkish Airlines. Established in 1933 with a fleet of only five airplanes, Turkish Airlines flies to more countries in the world than any other airline. 105 countries over five continents. Turkish Airlines now has a fleet of 261 aircraft, passenger and cargo, flying to 243 cities around the world. Turkish Airlines is a member of Star Alliance and is able to use their coffee to help offset their fuel costs by pouring it in the tanks. <laughs> That's not what it says here. What's going on? <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, dear. Seriously, seriously, we are going to be sued. We need to employ this man. <laughs> no, we don't. We can't afford the legal fees. <laughs> anyway, uh, on to uh, number three. <laughs> number three. It is Cathay Pacific Airways. Voted Airline of the Year in 2014, Cathay Pacific Airways has won the World's Best Airline Award for the fourth time, more than any other airline. Cathay Pacific is a member of the One World Global Airline Alliance, Ooh. and the Cathay Pacific Group, including Dragonair and Air Hong Kong, operate more than 150 aircraft to 130 destinations across the globe. Number two. Number two, and just very quickly, hi Adam. Yes, I, I just went through the uh, list on the chat line and saw that uh, Adam's in, but uh, sing number two, Singapore uh, who, Airlines. Who's Adam? One of the. Ah, uh, Adam Knight. Adam does Knight. The does... Flight Australia. Yes. Oh, yeah. I see. All right. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah, there you as go. you were. Yeah, <coughs> yes. Number two. <laughs> number two. Number two. Stay on target. Stay yeah, on yeah, target. I know. I'm focusing. I'm losing. I'm lo I've just lost the plot today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Can't hold it. No, it no, it, no. I know. Absolutely. Yes. And this is, this um, is on T. I'll have you know. <laughs> oh, anyway. Shall Singapore we? Airlines yeah. is one of the most respected travel <laughs> brands around the world. Flying one of the youngest aircraft fleets in the world to destinations spanning a network spread over six continents, the Singapore Girl is an internationally recognisable icon, providing the high standards of care and service that customers have come to expect of Singapore Airlines. Wow, blimey, that was, that was alarmingly quick. And finally, at number one. So at number one, it's Ryanair. At, no, Pardon? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I just, no, I just had sorry, to do what? that. I had to do <laughs> that. What happened Well there? played. Oh, yay. <laughs> number one, Ryanair, whatever. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> the studio has just, just collapsed into absolute chaos. And at <laughs> number one. At number one, it is Qatar Airways. In a relatively short time, Qatar Airways has grown to more than 140 destinations worldwide, offering levels of service excellence that helped uh, the award-winning carrier become the best in the world. Qatar Airways network spans business and leisure destinations across the Europe, Middle East, Africa, Asia, Pacific and North America and South America. Qatar Airways is a member of the One World Global Airline Alliance. Ooh. So there we are. Well, it's <laughs> safe to say that was an eventful um, uh, top ten. Uh, that's great news. So um, what we're going to do now is uh, brace yourself, everyone. We've got a marvellous segment from the legend that is Yeah, we're going to sort of... Yeah, we're going to sort of break with tradition. Break with tradition. Because uh, we, we're all... Uh, Exhausted, I think, and need uh, caffeine and or beer <laughs> libations. So, uh, yeah, it's the legend that is Pilot Pip. His segment is coming up now. Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip. 
spooky, mysterious lady with a lovely voice. Sends shivers down my spine every time. Hi everyone, it's Pip here, coming at you live this morning from the Heathrow Marriott Hotel. Just came in last night from Dublin, and I've got uh, a nice relaxing morning to sit around, have my breakfast, listen to the live show on the chat room. Hi me in the chat room. And of course record a little segment for you. So just a very quick one this morning. And I want to talk about something called equal time points. Now, imagine we're flying along across the Atlantic and we're getting around halfway and we think, ah, shoot, I left the oven on at home or I left the iron on or maybe something more realistic like you've got a passenger who's having a heart attack. Is it quicker to carry on and to go divert somewhere on the other side of the Atlantic or is it quicker to go back to where you came from? Well, this is something we should really know when we're doing long-haul flights, especially out across uh, sparse areas like oceans or deserts and we need to have in the back of our mind something called an equal time point i.e. a point along the route where it's quicker to go forwards than it is to go backwards now of course if you're flying around mainland Europe or the States then you're never more than about 20 minutes or so from an airport so the, that doesn't really come into play too much but when you're looking at long ocean crossings then it's really important that you've got a good idea of where you are in, t in terms of time going forwards or returning back to where you came from and so we can calculate that relatively simply and this is something I used to do back in the days when I was flying the old twin piston Cessna 400s we used to go up to Iceland regularly so we'd uh, transit up to Wick in the north of Scotland and then we'd make the the pretty long ocean crossing in a twin piston up to Reykjavik so it's a long stretch across the North Atlantic couple of hours over the water so we used to calculate equal time points so we'd know exactly at what point along the route it was quicker to carry on to Iceland or return back to Wick if we had to and you can calculate that using just a little bit of simple maths it's not too difficult now you might think about it and think well surely the equal time point is going to be halfway along a route isn't it it'll be as quick to do one half of the route as it will to to do the other half of the route well of course if your speed going both ways was the same then that would be true but when we're flying aeroplanes our speed or our ground speed our speed over the ground isn't the same and it all depends on the winds obviously with a tailwind you're going much faster along the ground and with a headwind you're going more slowly so you need to have a bit of a think about the the, the ground speeds that you're going to achieve going in either direction and that's the key thing here so to work it out you can use a formula and it's not terribly complicated and it goes like this so to calculate the distance to the equal time point you take the total distance of the route and times it by the ground speed uh, going back and you take that figure then you divide it by the ground speed going out plus the ground speed going back now that sounds complicated but it really isn't now let's take an example of that let's pretend we're flying from oh it doesn't matter where somewhere in the states to somewhere in Europe and as I said, once you're in Europe and once you're in the States, there are loads of airports to choose from. So it's really only that part of the ocean crossing that we're concerned with. So let's pretend that that part over the ocean is 2,000 miles. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's probably something like that. And we'll pick two airports on each side of that crossing. So let's take Shannon in Ireland and Gander in Canada. That will be along a typical route going from uh, the west coast of the States to Europe. So let's pretend between Gander and Shannon it's 2,000 miles. And generally crossing the Atlantic we have a tailwind going from west to east. So our ground speed going out is going to be faster than our ground speed going back. So where do you think that equal time point would be? Would you think it would be beyond halfway or 
before reaching the halfway point? Well, using that little formula, we can work it out very easily. So distance to the equal time point is the total distance. So that's the 2,000 miles across the Atlantic times the ground speed back. Let's say our ground speed going out with the tailwind is 500 knots and going back it's 400 knots. So we've got a 100 knot tailwind on the way out. So total distance 2,000 miles times the 400 uh, equals actually 800,000. Then you divide that by the ground speed out plus the ground speed back. So 500 plus 400 is 900. Divide those two, 800,000 over 900 equals 888 miles. So our equal time point actually over that ocean crossing is before halfway and we can plot it on our chart. It's actually at 888 miles. So if we're flying along and we have some sort of emergency or we just remember we've left the oven on, then we can look down and see, ah, we've gone 889 miles. So it's actually quicker to carry on to Shannon or we've got 885 miles. So actually we haven't reached the equal time point. So it's quicker to go back, turn around and go back. Now that's a very basic example because in reality, you won't just have a constant ground speed. You won't have a constant wind up at altitude and over long routes like that, the winds will be changing as you go along. So uh, a headwind might change into a tailwind or a, you know, a side wind could turn into a headwind. It'll be different at different points and at different levels. So if you were going to get a really accurate idea of where the equal time point would be and you were doing this manually, you would need to go through your whole route and look at the winds at each point and come up with some sort of mean wind value and use that to calculate your equal time point. Now, in reality, we actually have a computer, a computer that compiles the flight plan. It calculates all the winds and that will calculate a very accurate equal time point for you. So actually, you don't even need to do it. But nonetheless, it's important to know how to do it and, and to have a very good idea of where it is. And then just following on from that, there's actually several different types of equal time point you can have. Imagine your emergency is not that you've um, got a passenger having some sort of medical emergency. Let's say you've lost an engine. And so obviously a loss of an engine is going to mean two things. It means you're going to be flying slower because you've only got one engine. So therefore your ground speed will be a lot lower. And it probably means you're going to have to descend as well. It's unlikely you're going to be able to maintain cruising altitude on one engine. Or let's say the emergency is you've lost pressurization and you need to come down very rapidly to 10,000 feet and you're halfway across the Atlantic. Well, again, down at lower levels, your ground speed is going to be much, much lower than up at altitude. So your equal time point in each of those different scenarios will be different to the original one we looked at where you're able to maintain speed and you're able to maintain altitude. So if you're doing a very thorough pre-flight planning, you may well calculate equal time points for each of those scenarios. So one scenario where you can maintain height and level, one scenario where you lose an engine and you're going to be much slower on one engine, and another scenario where you can't maintain altitude because of depressurization problems. And these sorts of things will be the bread and butter of those guys flying the long haul transatlantic or Pacific routes. I must admit I've not calculated an equal time point for many years because in the sort of flying I'm doing just around Europe, like I say, you're never more than 20 minutes away from an airport, usually even closer than that. It's very rare that I can't look out the window over Western Europe and not see an airport within a couple of miles of me. So there you go. That's my little segment today. Sorry about my slightly croaky voice. I do have a, a bit of a sore throat today. Um, 
But I guess I'll hand it back to the chaps in the studio. So Carlos, Matt, and of course our friend from Down Under, Grant McCarran. Hope you're having a good show, chaps. And, uh, well, I'll speak to you again in the chat room any second now. Bye. I can see what Grant's doing. Uh, anyway, yep. <laughs> it's, it's not Positive a positive rate of climb. Yeah, <laughs> Higher, damn it. Higher. Oh, thanks, Pip. Yeah, thank you, Pip, for that. Uh, Pip's been in the chat room frantically chatting to yeah, various people in there. Yeah. But no, thanks for, very much for that, Pip. Don't forget, you can uh, find uh, Pip over on his show, The Plane Safety Podcast. Uh, you can find that on iTunes mm. and uh, uh, over on, if you just search Plane uh, Safety Podcast. And you can also find him over at his website, planesafetypodcast.com, and uh, click on there. And you can also support Pip because he's doing his um, huge marathon run mm. next year at the London Marathon. Uh, I did post a link on our Facebook page uh, this week uh, for, to donate. Me yes, and so Matt donated this week, yay. and uh, we sent a little donation across to Pip. But don't forget, uh, if you click on his website, mm. that'll take you through a link there. And you can put a little uh, donation to Pip for that. Actually, on the subject of donations... Uh, yes, on the subject of donations, uh, we'd like to say a huge thanks to Short Bucker, yeah. uh, who has uh, donated very kindly to the show, uh, to our show, yeah. uh, through the link on our website. And yeah. uh, thank you very much for that. As uh, as the, the stinger says, mm. um, that you know the uh, donations that we get go towards Just our server fees yeah. for Libsyn and uh, for the website hosting fees, mm. and also for the equipment and stuff that we. Because yeah, uh, we've got we, for the show, especially as you can imagine, uh, having switched over to sort of doing these video things, obviously there's been significant investment. So any contributions towards that are greatly appreciated. Yep. And thank you very much to Suet for, yep, for that. And also thank you for your email, by the way. Yes, uh, we got a lovely email yeah, from Shortbacker as well. Absolutely, so thank you for that. some great feedback in there. Um, all of, all points of which we're very much taken on board. So yep. we're, we're going to try and uh, try and do that. Because I say this is a program that we make for the people that are listening. It, I mean. Carl, Carl does it because he's absolutely bonkers and loves aeroplanes. I, I, I do it because I love the technical element to it. I know nothing about aeroplanes, but I'm doing my best to learn as quickly as I can. And uh, my uh, top trumps are helping no end, by okay. the way, my top trump cards. Can, can I just uh, I'll show on the camera as well? I've, yes. I've moved my hat around so you yes, can see. Absolutely. Oh, here we go. He's absolutely aeroplane crazy. See, he's not joking when he says that. But uh, yeah, yeah, as my, I say, it's my uh, favourite um, badge, that yeah, one. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much to Suet for his very generous Yes, uh, thank uh, you for that. He's in the too. chat room. Is he? Uh, so we're a virtual shake of the hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but no, there's loads of action in the chat room. Uh, Captain Nick's there. Dr. Steph is still with us. Uh, Jenny's just popped in. Jenny Parkinson uh, over in Italy. She's just popped in. Uh, so hello in to you, Jenny. Yeah. Um, uh, hello to you. Mm. Yeah, it's good to see you all in there, having a good old, a good old chinwag. Yeah, good old Nathan. No, it's so really, really we, is alive and well in the chat room today. I know, it's, it's been, great. Been Neil Braden, look. Yeah. Right, so we're going to do a military news segment now, yeah. and, uh, and Grant is going to take the first uh, segment. Yeah. So if we're all ready to do the military segment... We certainly are, yes. We're all ready. Let's go. Here we go. All right. First... So with the first story then, Grant, far away. Yep. Spirit gets to work on RAAF's first P-8A. 
Major assembly has started on the Royal Australian Air Force's first Boeing P-8A Poseidon maritime patrol aircraft at Spirit Aerosystems. Boeing unit Spirit produces the fuselage for the 737 airliner upon which the P-8A is based. In a statement, it says that the first RAF P-8A fuselage will be delivered to Boeing's Renton, Washington assembly line in early 2016. Our new P-8 will be the first of a new generation of maritime surveillance for Australia, says RAF Air, Co Air Commodore Adam Brown on a visit to Spirit's Wichita factory. We're particularly excited and proud to get what we think is the best maritime patrol aircraft in the world coming to service in our Air Force, said RAF Air Commodore Adam Brown once again. Canberra has ordered eight P-8A aircraft and has options for four additional examples. Its first examples are due for delivery in 2017, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do take those uh, uh, four additional examples, by the way. Uh, it says here the type will replace the RAF's fleet of Lockheed Martin P-3 aircraft. Flight Global's fleet's analyzer shows that the RAF operates 15 P-3Cs, uh, known down here as the AP-3Cs, uh, the average age of which is 33 and a half years. Canberra also intends to obtain the Northrop Grumman MQ-4C Triton unmanned air vehicle to complement the new type. Wow, that's quite cool. old, isn't it? 30-odd years is, is quite an age, isn't it? Have you, I've yeah. sent one of these close up. I take it you've probably sent one of these, uh, the P-8s, close up, Grant? Yes. Yeah. yeah they're they, pretty uh, cool to see how close these are. Hmm. Um, well, it'll, be, it'll give us our, our third military 737-based aircraft because we, uh, we have at least two... Uh, Boeing business jets being used in the uh, VIP flight. We then have the E7A Wedgetail, which is a 737-based air airborne early warning and control aircraft, uh, named after the Wedgetail Eagle, which does attack kangaroos, by the way. It's very big. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, oh, it's, a, it's an incredible bird. Um, and the Wedgetail itself, the uh, air, the aircraft, is, is pretty amazing. I've been on board one uh, on the ground. Had to leave all recording equipment and everything out. Uh, we were taken on board and shown through it while I was in Tyndall near Darwin uh, uh, during the um, exercise pitch black last year. But uh, So, yeah, we'll have the Poseidon, we'll have the uh, Wedgetail, and we'll have the BBJs. So that's 3737-based aircraft in, in our fleet. Yeah, that's surprising. When, when me and Pip were at Riyadh this year and uh, we, we got on board the AWACS, with the early warnings, mm -hmm. yeah, the early warning. Like we just took all the recording equipment on there, and they actually, we mm. actually interviewed the guy. We did uh, actually, yeah. it actually where the uh, where the command sort of center and stuff is it, mm. inside the aircraft. Um, it, it was yeah, all that's switched off. Seven three seven. It's probably a bit old. <laughs> Sorry, seven oh seven. Seven oh seven. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, they, they were. Everyone's you, already seen this. Yeah, yeah boring. Yes. Yeah, the, yeah. The, I didn't. I oh, sort of tried no, to look what stickers were on their on their monitors. I was trying to see if it was Windows three point one or. Um, <laughs> Now. Uh, they're trying to copy the. Uh, trying to copy the. Is it uh, who was it who uh, who had the issue with the, um, the air traffic? Uh, Windows three one. Oh, it's, it's not the air traffic control. It was I believe their fog sensor was still running Windows three one. That's it. Yeah. The at fog the airport. <laughs> it was. Is it was that in Italy, Grant? I, I can't remember. Was it Italy or France? Was it, it was either Italy or France. They were they were France, running. France wouldn't surprise me. They were running one of their running one of the key systems that you have in an airport right. using okay. Windows three point one. Actually, now yes, I, I I agree with you that that does sound crazy. But when when it's a, such a, a an integral system and such an important system, I know certainly for example space shuttles and that kind of thing. I mean they were quite often running um, this. Sorry, Geeksville here. They the, the computer <laughs> systems in their um, in their
their um, aircraft were actually running what they call DX266 processor chips, uh, purely and simply because <laughs> it was the only thing that they'd only ever sort of tested uh, it with, and so yep. they were very, very reluctant to move away from it. It's in, in defence of said air traffic control, that may wait, or the fog, fog warning system, so that may, be, that may be a similar reason, is the fact that if it's not broke, don't fix it. Well, Mash has put it was in Paris Orly. Yeah, it was yeah, Paris yeah, Orly. Yeah, and um, and uh, Windows 3.1 was at Paris, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pips put, uh, he, he, thinks they sh or he thinks they were ZX Spectrums. Oh, now you know that. <laughs> With the rubber keyboards, I remember. Yay. They were amazing oh, bits of kit. Wow. I actually had one, and like now, given how much money these things are worth, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish I'd yeah. kept it because it was mint condition, but there we are. You, you don't know what's going to be... Uh, so so popular sort of later on, but as I say, it's a serious point though because uh, you know uh, if the fog warning system is working, as I say, and it's doing everything you need to do, why do why do you need to update it just so you get prettier pictures? You know, yeah. I mean, if the information that you're getting from it is what you need and it doesn't crash all the time, all right, yes, I mean, you know, it hasn't had technical support for I don't know how long, but um, yeah, well, sorry. it's being supported in house. And, yeah. Uh, most of the people in-house at Paris Orly uh, who know how to use 3.1 and what mm. they're doing with it are all sort of retiring. And ah, right. it broke okay. and no one was around who could fix it. It was the um, right. decor. Uh, it communicates runway visual range. Yeah. And uh, f like fog or poor weather conditions. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it just stopped. <laughs> yeah, it just stopped working. No warnings were given yeah. out. But Don't uh, worry, they're upgrading it to XP. Oh, splendid. A real st a, a system that was uh, no longer supported after last yes. year, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is always yeah, that's, nice. that's why. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to upset a million people now, but it's just as well they don't operate the systems using an iPhone because then every time it updates, they'd lose all their contacts. <gasps> and, uh, <clears throat> anyway, yeah. moving on to the next story. Yes, quite global. And yeah. by the third this up, is, is going to be a really expensive... Exactly. It's going to be a very expensive show with all these lawsuits. I know, isn't it? I know, yes. I know. Yes. So uh, uh, the next story on uh, Fly Global site, yes. and the uh, it's actually another P eight story. It's UK. Is this in any way kind of like controversial? Or, you know, no, no. no we're, okay, we're just right, trying good. to right. span the span how, the globe. How refreshing! So the UK, <laughs> um, thankfully, the UK are mm. to obtain nine P eight uh, maritime patrol aircraft. Uh, this is quite a good story because we recently had a story in the news recently about uh, a Russian submarine being spotted off the coast of oh, Scotland. Yes. Yes, 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 And yes. because the UK have no maritime patrol aircraft, we had to borrow one from France. How embarrassing. Um, yes. so the, they're a bit busy now, I know, let's be So honest, the story, the UK mm. is set to announce plans to obtain nine Boeing P-8 Poseidon maritime patrol aircraft, as well as extend the service life of the Royal Air Force's uh, Eurofighter Typhoon fighters. The PA acquisition and Typhoon life extension will be part of a £178 billion uh, investment, or $270 billion investment, that we made in defence equipment and support over the next 10 years, says uh, in a statement from the Prime Minister's office. Uh, Prime Minister David Cameron will outline the plans when he unveils the Strategic Defence and Security Review, SDSR, in the House of Commons uh, this week. Uh, with the last of the RAF's British Aerospace Nimrod MR2s having already been retired in March 2010, the cancellation of the replacement Nimrod MRA4 indefinitely extended a so-called capability gap to what had long been considered an indispensable national skill set. These roles require an aircraft that can carry torpedoes, as well as being fitted with a broad range of sensors, including radar and sonar boys, which are operated from the rear of the cabin by a team of specialists, says the in a statement. Uh, these aircraft will also provide maritime search and rescue and surveillance capabilities over land. 
the statement adds that the service life of, typh of the typhoons, the Eurofighters, will be extended uh, 10 years to 2040. This will allow uh, two additional squadrons, uh, bringing the total frontline squadron strength to seven, with 12 aircraft per squadron. Uh, we will also invest in the ground attack capability and fit them with a new active electronically scanned array radar to ensure that they can continue to operate in hostile environments in the future, says the statement. This is obviously good news. You know, we, we haven't got a maritime mm. uh, surveillance, as, we, as I was just saying, and uh, it, it'll be sort of interesting to see, you know, how quickly we'll get these once mm. the uh, papers have been signed and, uh, and everything. Yeah. Absolutely. I should just uh, say, actually, while we're talking about that sort of uh, thing, um, obviously there there is a big um, uh, thing going on, obviously between Russia and Syria at the moment, mm. uh, involving an aeroplane that's been shut down. We we are obviously aware yeah, of the story, but it has yeah. been so massively covered by by the media and things. I yeah. mean, you know, presumably you already know everything you need to to know about it. It is an ongoing picture. In fact, I've been looking at um, some stories and stuff. Um, about it while that was going on that was mm. sort of saying about uh, you know accusations of it being planned provo prog um, uh, provocation and things like that so uh, we like to keep things yeah fresh a little here. yeah absolutely yes. so we'll uh, we'll see what as i say if we get anything to develop on on that story certainly as far as military what's, is concerned uh, in we'll in, in, uh, in your in your side of the uh, your side of the world uh, grant what's what's your maritime patrol aircraft of choice there in the uh, RAAF well currently it's currently it's the AP3C the Orion mm. uh, you know, the, the ones that are 30 plus years old uh, mm. but that's that's the main maritime one uh, they base out of Edinburgh in South Australia transit out through Darwin and places like that Learmonth uh, to do their patrols but uh, they also generally have some based at Butterworth in Malaysia mm. uh, that's the one that's being replaced by the P8 and also we're getting the Triton uh, which is a big UAV high altitude long endurance jet aircraft with uh, its Yes, yeah, the maritime version of the um, Global Hawk. So, uh, yeah, an amazing piece of equipment, that one. And uh, a lot of people are very excited to see how that's all coming together and how they're going to wind up using it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, good stuff. Absolutely. Anyway, on to the next story. And this is on Flight Global again. And the headline is Switzerland orders Hermes 900 UAV. Ooh, UAVs. And this seems to be a, a, a real trend, isn't it? Sort of like the drones and UAVs seem to be a, a real sort of military uh, sort of boom, I think, at the moment, isn't it? Switzerland has signed a production contract for the Elbit Systems Hermes 900 unmanned air vehicle following selection of the type in June 2014. Worth $200 million, the contract award uh, from the Swiss Federal Department of Defence, Civil Protection and Sport, the DDPS, comes two months after the nation's parliament approved the purchase of six Hermes 900 UAVs, a vital... Uh, um, uh, precursor of any military deal in Switzerland. The type will be delivered with a heavy fuel engine which uh, was a requirement of the original tender. It faced competition from the Israel Aerospace Industries Super Heron, a derivative of the company's Heron UAV family that have been developed in a heavy fuel engine for the Swiss requirement. Uh, it will replace the uh, IAI Rogue uh, ADS-95 system, which is expected to be retired in 2020. Deliveries of the Hermes 900s are anticipated to complete within four years. 
Switzerland is a very important market for the Elbit systems and we are very proud of the DDPS his decision to choose us as the supplier of the Hermes 900 HFE a high-end and market-leading platform uh, the president and chief executive of Elbit Systems has said the DDPS selection arrests, uh, uh, sorry, attests to our innovative and technological leadership in the area of the UAS. Uh, that's the unmanned air system supported by the maturity of our systems. We hope this project will pave the way for additional projects both in Switzerland and worldwide. I'm just going to bring up that picture because that's actually quite a So the Hermes 900 then, um, mm. obviously as a UAV, uh, yeah. introduced into service in 2012. Mm. Uh, its primary user is actually the Israeli Air Force. Right. Um, and uh, it, uh, just going through the, here we go, it uh, has a maximum speed of 137 miles an hour. Wow. Um, in, Sorry, it's basically an Israeli version of the Predator. Right. Yes. Um, if, if, you, if you bring up the stats and, and the photo of a Predator, not the Reaper, which the Predator became, but the original Predator uh, drone, you'll see that the Predator has, also has a uh, very similar engine. Mm, uh, it's got a slightly higher horsepower version of the... Um, uh, what, which one is it? It's the, you've got them in the Rotax. The Rotax, yeah, 914. Yeah. yeah. And the Predator's V tail goes down instead of up. And uh, but otherwise the the speeds are similar. The predator is a little faster, but this will stay in the air longer. Yeah, and, thirty-six uh, hours. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The predator is typically a twenty-four hour endurance aircraft. Um, so it's very, very. It's it's it's. Uh, if you look at the the stats side by side, they're very similar aircraft. But mm. uh, Elbit in is Israel makes them, and mm. interesting that the the Israeli um, Hermes was was going up against the Israeli Heron. Right, <laughs> um, yeah. Two aircraft, both. Uh, the Australians have been using the Heron for a number of years. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I presumably, as I say, because a 36-hour flight time on that, I mean, I mean, presumably they're, they're very, obviously they're very efficient, but I suppose they're very light, aren't they, because they haven't got, uh, they haven't got sort of people in them, essentially. There are two yeah. operators on the ground for one of these. Yeah. Really? Mm. Yeah. yeah. But it's not the same two operators throughout um, the mission. No. They'll be swapping no. in and out. Yeah. Uh, that's mm. the thing. You... You're, they're in a like a, a container. It's like a, a big shipping container, mm. fully mm. air conditioned. Got all the gear in it. Oh. That's a typical tea and typical coffee system that they have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, tea and coffee making facilities. Obviously. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you'll have a, a remotely piloted vehicle operator and a sensor operator, mm. and and then they'll do you know two to four hour shift, and then another crew will come in while it's still flying and things like that, Ooh. and. Wow. Yeah, it's it's an amazing way of operating equipment, um, but I'm pretty sure that that's the way they. I know that's the way the Heron operates. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that's the way these guys operate as well. well it sort of makes sense, doesn't it, to to, to stick to a, a working format, if you like. Mm. Uh, as you say, and, and with multiple teams, you can you can keep it uh, in the air for its full 36 hours. I'd love one. Yeah, it certainly beats my little remote control helicopter upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, although I'm sure they're very similar. You're lucky if you can get yours to to run for 3.6 minutes, let alone 30, 36 hours. Uh, I think it's, I think it literally is five or six minutes. Is yeah, it? Yes, on yeah, yeah, full yeah, battery. Yeah. yeah, but it has a battery that's yeah. that, you know it's a, the battery in it is about that big. You know, it's just. Like, oh. <laughs> So is the battery now outlasting the operator's ability to keep it in the air? Well, uh, mm, yeah, yes, that, that, that is probably the, 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 the more serious of the two issues, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
So the next story is uh, you, uh, if you like. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, it is. Uh, was it me? Uh, I, I think it's actually you and is Grant. Is next? Actually, I've, is it I've, me? I've done my fair share. Oh, I, yeah. I, think it, I think it's my turn this time. Yeah, Go on, then, Grant. Yeah, get, but, uh, Go yeah, on, then, Grant. Because okay. uh, yeah, this is an interesting one. A century of sorties for the RAF air seeker and Sentinel. Uh, the Royal, Royal Air Force's newest surveillance aircraft, Air Seeker, a.k.a. the um, RC-135W, which is known in the U.S. as the Rivet Joint, and uh, which is actually on a very old mouse pad that I have that I'm using. Um, no way. I think you can see it there. Yeah. Uh, a, friend, oh, yeah. a friend of ours in the U.S. Uh, yeah. lives and works near uh, with these guys. But that's, yeah, that's the Rivet Joint. <laughs> um, as you can see, it's been used a lot. Yes, absolutely. It's very um, worn in the middle, yes. Yes, it's had a good life. Indeed. Uh, but yes, the, uh, the Air Seeker and the RAF Sentinel Battlefield Surveillance Aircraft both reached a major milestone last week as they flew their 100th operational sorties in the fight against ISIL. And uh, I, I don't know if you're able to uh, bring up the image of mm -hmm. the, um, the Seeker. Yeah, Sorry, the Sentinel, yep. the Sentinel. There we go. Um, it's based on a Bombardier um, Global, um, what is it, 8000, I think, one of the um, business jets. Mm. Uh, so here they're saying the RAF's air component commander in the Middle East, Air Commodore Martin Sammy Sampson, said Air Seeker and Sentinel's 100 sorties and counter-ISIL operations demonstrate the exceptional capability the UK is providing to the multinational coalition. I am extremely proud of the contribution by our servicemen and women that keep our aircraft flying across the Middle East. Air Seeker and Sentinel are part of the RAF's Intelligence Surveillance Target Acquisition and Reconnaissance, also known as ISTAR, force, mm -hmm. which also includes E3D Sentry Airborne Command and Control Aircraft and Reaper remotely piloted aircraft systems. More than 80% of Air Seeker's flying hours to date have been in direct support of operations, and the ISTAR force provides around a third of all coalition airborne intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance. So, yeah, um, they're also saying that the RAF's ISTAR capabilities are to be enhanced by the introduction of nine Boeing P-8A Poseidon. Hey, mm. back to the earlier story. Um, they'll be at Lossy Mouth <laughs> and Moray. Uh, and, yeah, I, do you want me to keep reading the rest of it? Yeah, well, we, no, we, we're just, just looking at this, the stats. You say there's a little... I'll bring the that up. There's, on a, the, uh, there's a little, little thing. Okay. You probably can't read it too well on there, but like, the one that's blown me away there is it says maximum altitude 50,000 feet. That yeah. seems really high. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the new engines that they've got on it, and <clears throat> excuse me, the higher you go, the more signals you can acquire. Right, yeah. yeah this rivet joint's all about signals intelligence. Mm. This, these, this picture, this one here of, of, the, um, of the air seeker, mm. the RC-135, because it's obviously based on the 707. Right. I just, it always amazes me when you, because I'm used to, as a child, flying on the 707 right. years ago when I was young. Mm. And, you know, he, he had the old Pratt and Whitney engines on yeah. that. And when you look at this here, you, this is the same aircraft essentially, mm. but with a heck of a lot bigger engines on. Yeah. And it, right. yeah. Higher bypass. Yeah, you, know, you, you yeah. could you could you could <laughs> actually you could probably fit or uh, slide a JT8D you know inside the the a, intake a say what one now? of these engines. A oh. what? Uh, Grant Lyon. JT8Ds the, the um, engines most of the earlier 707s had, and and technically speaking, the 707 is derived from the KC135 series, mm. um, which is what this is actually derived from, mm. um, and extended and so on. It's really great that they're keeping it going. So it's it's like a seven oh seven, but not quite. But uh, yeah, it's it's those, those high bypass engines burn less fuel, um, a lot quieter. Um, mm. Yeah, they don't use those big black smoke trails that no. we're seeing a seven oh seven coming into Avalon one time, and 
Yeah. Oh, look, black dot. Oh, looks. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, beautiful thing. Yeah. Coming out behind it. <laughs> so we've like, got yes, um, we've got your dinosaurs to noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Noisy, yeah. yeah, absolutely. We'd like a bit of noise. Uh, so we, we, having not had one for ages and ages, we've, we've got now got two mili- top yeah, tens. Know, we've got two top tens on the bounce, which is I very know. exciting. Ooh. So, uh, gentlemen, if you are, uh, I don't know quite. What, what have we got first? This, this is, is the most. Ex- this is a top ten right. of the uh, of the most expensive military uh, jets. Right. Okay. And so is, is, is is what number is this? This one is number ten. Oh, it is in the right here, order. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, I am so pleased. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll let our guest go first. Absolutely. Our guest, so go. in oh. at number ten, the F eighteen Hornet, ninety four million dollars. First entering service in the nineteen eighties, the twin engine fighter plane was the US's first strike fighter, an aircraft capable of attacking both ground and aerial targets. It has seen action in Operation Desert Storm and as the aircraft of the Navy's Blue Angels flight demonstration team. The FA-18 is also used by Canada, Australia, yay, Finland, <laughs> Kuwait, Malaysia, Spain and Switzerland. And uh, in at uh, number nine. In at number nine then, it is, once it's, here we once go. it's loaded. It's the, <laughs> once it's loaded, yeah, it's the EA-18G Growler. Uh, $102 million. Uh, Hot off the presses, the Growler is a highly armed version of the FA-18 fighter that has been updated for electronic warfare. It's currently uh, being uh, delivered to the Navy, and Growlers are capable uh, of not only finding and disrupting anti-aircraft radar, but also jamming enemy communications. In at number eight. The V-22 Osprey, $118 million per aircraft. Now, we love, we love the aircraft, Osprey. Which takes off and lands like a helicopter but can fly faster and further like a fixed-wing plane was first used in combat in Iraq in 2007. The Osprey's production has been bedeviled by design and construction problems. The craft claimed the lives of at least 30 Marines and civilians during its development alone. Former <laughs> Vice President Dick Cheney tried repeatedly to ground the plane. Still, because of its range and versatility, the Marine Corps planned to deploy a squadron of V-22s to Afghanistan by the end of the year. And on a side note, the Bell 609, I believe it is, the um, civilian version, recently uh, one of their, their test aircraft crashed, taking the lives of the two test pilots on board apparently during the high-speed section of their flight test. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, still sorting out the problems. It, it is. I mean, we, we saw one at Riyadh, didn't we? It is an amazing aircraft, though, isn't it? I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, you can't take that away from it. It is such an amazing thing to sort of see. Anyway, and on to an aircraft that we haven't seen at any air shows. No, indeed. This is at number seven. So at number seven, it's the F-35 Lightning II, $122 million. Uh, Lockheed Martin's 2001 deal to build these stealth supersonic fighter jets was at the time the largest military contract ever. Mm-hmm. The F-35s intended to replace the aging aircraft arsenal uh, that were developed as part of a joint strike fighter program between the US and its allies and were criticised as underpowered and overweight mm-hmm. and therefore easy targets, making matters worse from 2007 to 2008 Cyber spies infiltrated the 7.5 million lines of computer code that powered the Joint Strike Fighter, <laughs> oh, no. raising concerns <laughs> that the enemies could copy the F-35 design and exploit its weaknesses. In April 2009, Lockheed Martin said it did not believe the program had been compromised. Mm, a bit of a security mm. issue there, I fear. <laughs> anyway, at number six. Number six, the E-2D Advanced Hawkeye, $232 million per airframe. 
a major step forward for surveillance and reconnaissance. The Advanced Hawkeye's powerful new radar system will increase the range of territory an aircraft can monitor by 300%. It can probably watch the pistachios pop in Iran, an analyst from the think tank <laughs> Lexington Institute told National Defence in July. That's an interesting That's one. That's an unusual analogy, uh, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Though, though development of the plane is on track and two test versions have been delivered to the Navy, budget cuts may keep the planes grounded for at least a year longer than planned. And by the way, congratulations, Ray Davies. You win the uh, observant prize by noticing that the plane over my right-hand shoulder yeah. has changed. Yeah. Well done. I, I thought we were actually going to get right through that and nobody was going to notice. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Meanwhile. Oh, hang on. Oh, sorry. There you go. Do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, what prize? We, we, have we got what to send him something now? Oh, I know. Well. I don't know. I think I'm. Respect. Is it number five? Yeah, number five. Yeah. Num anyway, we'll, we'll go I with it. Hopefully, we won't run out of numbers before the end. <laughs> In at number five, <laughs> uh, it's the VH seventy one Kestrel, two hundred and forty one million dollars. This high tech helicopter project, intended to replace the president's aging chopper fleet, was running more than fifty percent over budget by the time Barack Obama took office. <laughs> Soon after his inauguration, the president announced plans to scrap the helicopters because of cost overruns. On the 27th, uh, 22nd of July, however, the House Appropriations Committee unanimously approved restoring the $485 million to fund the Kestrels. Mm. And at number four. Number four, the Boeing P-8A Poseidon comes back to yet another story in the military zone. <laughs> $290 million. Sorry, I'm just going to get my... Uh, where are we? Over this side. That's oh. right. Based on the 737 airframe. Right. Yes, that's yes. right. Anyhow, <laughs> that's what we like. Boeing's spruced up military version of its 737 jet will be used by the Navy to conduct anti-submarine warfare and gather intelligence. It can carry torpedoes, missiles, depth charges and other weapons. The P-8A is expected to go into service in 2013. Mm, Where was this hopefully. done? I don't know. It's probably quite old by the sound of it then. Uh, to, uh, anyway, to, uh, what number are we on? Number three, I three, think. I hope, number I hope three. It is. <laughs> oh, what an interesting. This is quite a good picture. Uh, yeah. The C-17A Globemaster III, $328 million. The Air Force military transport plane is used to move troops into war zones before medical evacuations and conduct airdrop missions. There are 190 C-17s in service, and the aircraft is propelled by four turbofan engines of the same type used on the twin-engine Boeing 757 and can drop 102 paratroopers at once. Uh, in operation since 1993, it's been used to deliver uh, troops and humanitarian aid to Afghanistan and Iraq. Ooh, very good. Uh, in at number two. And definitely the best photo so far. I'm still drooling on this one. Ha! Ah. Okay. F-22 Raptor, $350 million per aircraft. First conceived during the Cold War as an airframe to vie with Soviet aircraft that was mm -hmm. never built, the F-22 is touted by manufacturer Lockheed Martin as the best overall combat plane in the world, not to mention the most expensive. Yeah. It can shoot down enemy cruise missiles, fly long distances at supersonic speeds, and avoid nearly all types of radar detection. But the Senate debate over whether to build seven more at a taxpayer cost of $1.67 billion eventually came down to the plane's job-creating abilities. The X project... Uh, sorry, the axed project would have employed 25,000 Americans. <laughs> Blimey, I'm surprised they axed it then, given the uh, job crisis uh -huh. in, said, uh, in said country. Anyway, finally at number one. At number one, one other, another old school one. Mm. This one, uh, the B2 Spirit. 
2.4 billion dollars. That's a fright. Um, with a B. Yeah, yeah with yeah. a B. Yeah. B. The B2 bomber was uh, so costly that Congress cut its initial 1987 purchase order from 132 to 21. Uh, a 2008 crash leaves the current number at 20. The B2 is hard to detect via infrared acoustic electromagnetic visual or radar signals. This stealth capability makes it able to attack enemy targets with less fear of retaliation. In use since 1993, the B2 has been deployed in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm. Oh, there we go. That is an amazing thing. Ooh. So we all need to and save uh, up lots of money. Yes, we do, don't we? Yes. To buy anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Probably <laughs> And to answer people. Nick's question. Yes. Nick, Nick asked the question, why are um, ancient airframes, i.e. 707-737, so bloody expensive? Uh, mostly because of what's inside them. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. The, the, for instance, the Poseidon, it's got a heck of a lot of computers on board, mm. uh, a lot of electronics, a lot of uh, sensors, plus the ability to drop things out. So, And it's a new build. Whereas the, the rivet joint, which is an old 707 airframe, admittedly, mm. has been uh, zero-timed, excuse me, built up, re reassembled, and uh, packed, packed. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, <laughs> wow, the, the um, radar and sensor and pods and on that thing is just insane. I bet. I bet. No, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So we have uh, got then, uh, that's the last military story. We've, we've yep. got uh, our Christmas competition we to announce. Have, yes. Uh, so we are going to run a Christmas competition. For those of you in, in, the, uh, in the chat room who've been watching us live, will mm. notice when we have the wide screen shot on, which Matt will now bring in, that just sitting here in front of me here, Yes, is, is a, the, prize. the prize. Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, so if you bring it up bring, in front of your camera now. Bring up yeah. the camera now. Yeah, there we go. So the prize for our Christmas uh, competition this year is uh, all the seasons, one, two, and three, of the uh, Discovery Channel's Flying Wild Alaska series. Mm. Uh, this is a series that, um, that I watched on Discovery. Uh, it's a fantastic series. Absolutely mm. love this program. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to run a competition to win that. We it's are. open to anyone. Yep. And, uh, and uh, if you want uh, to, to, well, if you want a chance to win this, we've got three questions to ask. Yep. Uh, and if you want to send your answers in via the email address, which Matt will give uh, um, in a moment. Yes. And also you can uh, catch the email address via the website. You can send it in via the contact page contact on there. Form, yeah. So send us your answers in via email. And what we'll do before we finish for Christmas, yes. we will put all the names in a hat yep. of people who have got these questions right, which I'm sure everyone will get these questions right because you're, you're all... I, mean, you, I have you to know. confess I didn't, but anyway, that's nothing unusual there. So I'm uh, not allowed to enter, so that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so we have three questions we do, to, uh, to ask you. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll give the first question, and uh, Matt will uh, yep. read the second question, okay. and I'll read the third okay. one. Okay, right, here we so, go. So uh, uh, Grant's uh, furiously getting a pen ready to write, to write the answers <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, absolutely. Here yeah. we go. Oh, um, yeah, I, I thought I was excluded because of, you know, being involved. Well, you don't know today. what the answer is, so it, well, you well, probably when, know what the answer is, when, you don't know what the questions are. So. When, when we go off air, totally off air, we'll, we'll, I'll ask Grant, see if he knows. See if he knows the answer, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, be, it'd be oh, cool if do. he does. <laughs> right, go on right. right, so question one in uh, this competition. Me, yeah, I know, I know, I'm oh, just doing the sorry, thing. Sorry, sorry. Oh, honestly. He's got a try story, that's why. Carry on. Tart you are. I Never mind, no, I've lost the will now. Off you go. 
<sighs> Domestics. I, know. I love this I know. guy. Absolutely. That's why I cook for him. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So five question. egg omelette, man. Seriously. Five egg omelette. <laughs> with, with cheese yeah, and I know. tomato. I know, absolutely. It's the, worst, it's oh the most God. fulfilling breakfast I think I've ever had in my life. Good Lord. You're not leading any lunch, are you? No, clearly not. Yes. So, uh, yes. So, this is the Christmas competition then. And so, question number one, Carl, is... So, question number one. What film features a Lockheed L-1011 TriStar under the airline name American Pride. Ooh. So that's what film features a Lockheed L-1011 TriStar under the airline name American Pride. So keep wow. the answers to yourself in the chat room because yes, I can absolutely. see everyone yeah, there. Let's not share that. So that's question number one. Uh, question two is uh, on the 10th of June 1965, the first commercial passenger carrying air, uh, airliner made a landing using Autoland. But what was the aircraft? So question two, on the 10th of June 1965, the first commercial passenger carrying airliner made a landing using Autoland. But what was the aircraft? There we go. And finally, question number three. So question number three. In the Flying Wild Alaska series, Ooh. which is the prize, the DVD yeah. prize, yes. what is Jim Tweeto's beloved aircraft of choice? Ooh. So that's in the Flying Wild Alaska series, this one here, the prize. <laughs> what is Jim Tweeto's beloved aircraft of choice? Splendid. So if you know the answer to all three of those questions, then please, answers will only be accepted via our email account, yes. which is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, you can also get in touch with us at, by the usual channels. Facebook, obviously, it's facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. It is Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at plaintalkinguk, as I say. The website, www.plaintalkinguk.com. Grant, uh, I think we should uh, give you a, a shameless plug as well. Uh, <laughs> you, you, the, uh, the, um, obviously, uh, I noticed you, 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 this week you released something for the... Um, uh, uh, a little segment for one of the podcasts yeah, that he, you're also involved yes, in. Uh, Stephen Grant do a segment for the Airplane Geeks podcast yeah, each week, absolutely, and which I listen to as well. Absolutely. And, uh, um, yeah. But uh, how do they get in touch uh, uh, to listen to your... Because I say the archive is still very much worth a listen if you, if you haven't uh, done. What, what, what is, how do they get in touch with that? Yeah, uh, you can find us at plainecrazydownunder.com. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping to get something out around the Christmas New Year. Uh, I've got a week off. Uh, away from the office, so ah. that takes me back down to uh, just one job rather well, than two. Be nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I might actually get time to um, to to get something out. Uh, Steve was going to try and do some edits. We were looking at doing some wrappering just before he went over. He's in Fiji at the moment having mm. a holiday oh, with the family, and uh, unfortunately he wound up being pretty busy, but he's officially on leave. He started early this week, but he's had all sorts of stuff to do. Uh, you know, they're building a house, they've sold their house, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, so, plus running yeah, around look, with day jobs. But yeah, no, hopefully look, we'll get an episode out this uh, before the end of the year. Hopefully. Oh, fantastic. Now we look forward to that. Obviously, um, we mustn't forget the legend that is uh, Pilot Pip. How, oh, yeah. did, they, how did they get hold of uh, his podcast, Carl? Yeah, well, again, if they want to get hold of uh, Pilot Pip, 
uh, by the short and curlies. Yeah, they can go to <laughs> family show, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. They, can, <laughs> they can get uh, get hold of Pip on uh, the Plane Safety Podcast. If you go on iTunes, search in the little box at the top right hand side, just like you can do our show and uh, Stephen Grant show. Just type in there Plane Safety Podcast, or you can go to his website planesafetypodcast.com and obviously uh, sponsor him for his marathon you must run. Absolutely, if you can, even if it's only a pound, please, everyone, make sure you sponsor Pip because we'll all be cheering him on and. Uh, with a bit of luck, I shall probably be in London on the day he does it. So, uh, so yeah, all all uh, all fantastic, really. So that is where we bring episode number eighty-eight to a close. So, for those of you listening to the audio podcast, we are we will put the, the uh, competition, the Christmas competition details on our Facebook page, okay. so you can see them on there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you'll be able to uh, just look in the chat room. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I didn't think I'd made the questions that hard, but obviously I have. Oh, have you? Yeah. Um, I oh. mean, Doc, no, no, Dr. No, no, Steph, no, no. Dr. Steph, uh, I think she's, she's nailed them all. Oh, has she? Um, right. and, uh, <laughs> Captain <laughs> Nick is I'll trying the to, uh, yeah. Captain Nick is trying to, to, uh, Google the answers to, to, to the gain, rest, to think. gain answers from the rest of the people in the <laughs> chat room. No, come on guys. Look, no cheating. No Play cheating. nicely children, please. <laughs> Oh dear! It's what? Dr. Steph is going to send him the art. No, you can't. This is terrible. Now you're cheating. Now you're lying there. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh. So we uh, we are going to sadly bring episode mm, um, eighty eight to it, a close. It, a close of the plane talking UK podcast. It has been an insanely uh, good fun show. It has to say, and that is all very much down to this lovely man who's now just come off on the cameras. So Grant, so, it's yeah. been a cracking show as always. Thank you We're ever so much. Worthy. We are We're no, we worthy. really are. We are really are not worthy no, for your guys. your no, your. <laughs> it's, honestly, it's podcast royalty we have right there. I know. Uh, Talking to us all the way down. So, where where exactly are you? Uh, no, don't give out your address, obviously. <laughs> I mean, sort of like <laughs> whereabouts? Yeah, well, uh, whereabouts in Australia are you? I'm in Melbourne. Melbourne, uh, down the bottom of the mainland. Uh, so, fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah, right at the bottom, just above Tasmania, the little island at the bottom of the mainland. Fantastic. So you got Tasmania at the bottom there, and I'm in in Melbourne. So it's a southern city, and which is why we can go from 40 degrees to, you know, 18 to 20 degrees in an hour uh, as the wind swings from north to south. Well, what's, but, what's uh, the what does it what's the coldest it gets there? Um, sort of in the sort of depths minus of three. wind. Minus three. All right, so it's quite minus three on the launch field out in the Yarra Valley. You know, so, so if it weren't if it weren't for the high temperatures of yours being so very impressive, then it, the, the, the low temperatures are about what they can be here in the UK. Well, it, that was that was at about you know just before dawn, uh, mm. during the middle of winter um, out in the Yarra Valley. But in the city, uh, close to the bay, generally around two or three degrees. Mm. Uh, you know, people start getting um, a little narky when it gets below about twelve. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've just I, I've, I noticed the cold, but I'm used to it. But yeah, yeah I, I'm not fond of humidity, and it's been getting humid lately. The last yeah. few years, about the last ten years, it's slowly been getting more and more humid. Yeah. No, fantastic. Right, that really is it. We we really are out of time. It's now ten past twelve. Can you here. can you just pass on our our, our fond uh, regards and uh, thanks to uh, Kit for letting you? Yeah, uh, maybe not now because she's evening. probably gone to bed. Bless her. <laughs> she has. She yes. has. Yeah. She's, yeah. Yeah. she's in bed, so I'll be sneaking in later tonight. Excellent. Yeah, indeed. Yes. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget to join us then next week for episode number eighty nine. We'll post the links on our Facebook page. You yeah. can uh, join us next week. I think mm. we're gonna are we gonna do a Friday? 
or a Saturday next week? I don't know yet. We'll have to work it out. Probably a Friday. Look out for the links on Facebook, though, for episode 89. So thanks, everyone in the chat room, for joining us. Mm. Loads of names to mention here, but uh, you know who you are in the chat room there. Thank you ever so much for joining us today, especially you guys who are obviously in parts of the world where the times are slightly early. Antisocial, I think is the world. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and don't forget to join us next week, hopefully. And don't forget to check out the competition. We, we, We need some winners. We need some people who know the answers. So, 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 from, so from Matt here in the uh, the kitchen studio, uh, it's a very, very fond goodbye. We'll see you all next week for what will be a Friday record, because uh, I've remembered I'm in London on Saturday, so it's definitely a Friday record. Oh. <laughs> and uh, from Grant, hey, well, this is me playing with more planes. Yeah, yes, yes, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, no, thanks, guys. Uh, it's been wonderful. Uh, thanks for letting me join. And, yeah, great show as ever. So no. have a great time, folks, and I'm going to bed soon. I don't blame you. No, thanks ever so much, Grant. You have been incredibly good value, as always. <laughs> and uh, from you, Carl. And from me, it is a thanks for joining us, and uh, we really appreciate you guys watching the show each week. Yeah. And uh, from me, have a great weekend, yep. and speak to you all next week. Yeah. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks Thanks for for listening. listening this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. TheVoicesInYourHead.com Aviation Media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Crash, crash, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. What is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there we go. Oh! <laughs>